Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Friday night, December 16th, which is, if you know, the birth date of the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Ludwig von Beethoven. And I know this because my mom was sitting watching Captain Kangaroo with my older brother the day she went into labor. It is my birthday. We are going to celebrate Beethoven's. We're going to play some Fur Elise. We are not going to do that. But... I'm saying this to tell you that I've been celebrating my birthday since about 6 p.m. It's 11. So, Will, you are the host tonight. I'm chilling. I'm hanging. I'm going to be in the background. I might just mumble, fall asleep. I promise nothing, but we're going to have a great time because we have Patch Hand and Will. Take it away. Will there be drooling, perhaps? I promise nothing. Happy birthday, man! Thank you Happy very birthday! Much. I thank you very much. It was it was a it was a situation where I knew that the last chance we could have a show was tonight, and I was like, "Heck yeah, I want to have a show!" And then when Pat said he could come on, I was like, "Guaranteed, we have to have Pat on. We have to talk about smoke weed, see the future." Which uh, I can't imagine what that book is about. Um, so, Pat, thirty <laughs> seconds or left? Can you explain this conundrum of what this book is? Yes, Smoke Weeds Through the Future is about a seer who develops a strain of weed that allows normal people to see what she does the future. Uh, she does it for for therapeutic reasons, but people tend to try to uh, take advantage of the service and use it for personal gain. So it is a weed comedy, fantasy, and crime thriller. Uh, we are live on Kickstarter now with Volume 2. Uh, you can get Volume 1 as well, and it's going well. No, I have had heard a theory that is is espoused to you that um, people say that Pat Chan says to take your log line and make it your title. Is that accurately? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, smoke weed to the future is my experience has been this, and this was the plan. Uh, like most of my plans worked. Okay, uh, <laughs> I. Uh, 
I wanted you people- smoked weed. You saw the future. You said I'm going to use my log line. <laughs> it's true. I I want titles where people passing the booth do this, and like and you know come back and be like what what is this? And from the title, you kind of know what it is, but it's it's such a it seems like a non sequitur. Smoke weed to the future. It it just. It grabs attention, makes people want to ask, while also doing the heavy lifting of the elevator pitch. Uh, same idea as I did with Gangster as Barista. Uh, Gangster as Barista is about a uh, barista who was in a gang. You know, it's uh, and you get the sense of it, and you also get the tone too. You know, both of these books are more comedic books, mm. and from from the title being what it is, you you can get that sense of that it's not going to be a hundred percent a crime drama it's going to have elements of humor as well right awesome we got some people in the chat shawnee thank you for joining us and i do appreciate kevin <laughs> with the happy birthday buzz the infinite uh, infinite yeah will you're gonna have to do this <laughs> the infamous, Pat, drunk and invisalign coming making infamous very hard to say and will trying to keep it under control it's gonna be a humdinger of a show i agree shawnee rob anderson love you buddy uh thank you very rob. much um uh thank you all uh but yeah let's you know what let's just get into it i'm gonna open up the uh the page let's look at uh smoke weed and see the future now this is volume two how did you um bring the group together that you're working with on this one all right how did i bring the group together um uh for for editorial and lettering it's the same thing every time um i am always writing or involved in writing on this title i am writing um shannon lee is the editor of every title at space between entertainment my company uh, Jim Campbell is the letterer at every space between title and the artist here is Elena Amanetti and I worked with her for the first time on Thirsty for those who don't know Thirsty that is my uh, uh, not safe for work adult uh, for the first title in that line of comics we, we did Thirsty and then Cheeky and, and next year is Steamy that line is uh, essentially standalone erotica stories that tie together in the end of each volume, sort of like a crash, but with sex. Um, uh-huh. And she did a story in there, and then she did a short, a sort of a, I don't want to say dream sequence, but she did a a certain kind of reverie sequence in Destiny New York 5. And her take on the Destiny New York characters in particular, uh, how she drew those characters, and just seeing seeing the uniqueness of her style. She uh she does pencils digitally and then she inks over no she does pencils digitally and then she does uh grayscale shading physically and you can see the texture of the actual shades. It has this sort of watercolor vibe, beautiful. Um and it, she was looking for uh work with, with me and and I saw her and wanted to I wanted to work with her long term, you know, and Destiny New York and Smoke Weeds to the Future are my two ongoing series that uh, there's no end in sight for either. And I booked Elena on volumes two, three and four. So we'd have a cohesive run with her as the artist. You know, I mean, I we could end a four two. I'm not sure there, but I at least want a nice long arc with Elena. Just I mean, you can see the art here. It's a. Uh, it's very beautiful. She uh, she has a very unique touch to her where she does 
such such smooth, confident lines, and this sort of painterly vibe in the grayscale shades, which I personally love. Uh, and then for the covers, uh, Jen St. Ange uh, did volume one, and so we, we have her doing one cover per volume, just because, you know, continuity, cohesiveness, that's her cover right there. Um, we have Marguerite Savage doing a cover as well, and our first ever cover from Luana Vecchio, which is the add-on cover for this campaign, uh, which we unlocked through stretch goals. Um, and yeah, that that's the large... Uh, we have trading cards as well, which the artists go on and on and on. We have a lot of people involved here, but though that's the main stable of artists in Smoke Weeds to the Future Volume 2. No, that's nice. I and I do I do see what you're saying with the watercolor feel of the art. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a unique vibe, you know. Um it is like nothing I've seen before in comics, and especially when you see the high res, there is this sort of pulpy texture to the backgrounds where you can tell that it's physically done. And yeah, it's just great. Do you have any conversation with the artist when she says, I want to do digital, I want to do this? Or do you kind of just say, do it how you feel? How did that come about? I forget at what point it was, but it was either on her thirsty story or on destiny in New York where uh, I know where it was. It was, it was on thirsty. She did this style and then uh, she did a destiny New York short, which was pushed to volume six. It was going to be in five to start, but it, it's now in volume six. And she started to do this sort of um, very um, traditional inky style, which was awesome. But I, I was just so in love with this that I said, hey, could we go back to this style? And ever since then, she's been rocking with this. And uh, oh. yeah, it's yeah. terrific. Yeah. If, if you're listening to the podcast, go go to the YouTube page. Or, well, no, don't do that. Go to the Kickstarter page. And and look, this we I'm looking at this page where the lead character is just floating in space. And uh, just that image is so strong and gorgeous. I, I mean, I... I largely just share uh, art from chapter one when I do Kickstarters, and mm-hmm. that's chapter two. And man, oh man, uh, I loved it. You know, there's a lot here that, you know, she balances this sort of more indie, almost like top shelf fanographics uh, slice of lifestyle with this sort of otherworldly take that is, to me, it's unique. I can't think of any comparison personally. Now, Jen St. Orange, you said she did volume one. She did the interior art as well? I mean, uh, art one? uh, She did the cover of volume one and two, and she did a short story in the end of volume one. I got it. Who was the artist on volume one? The artist on volume one is Yishan Lee, who uh, we are working together on something else now. She did uh, a short in Cheeky. She does the short that ties that all together and brings all the characters from the various shorts into one final uh, little story. And uh, right now, she and I are working on a new comic called Private Dance, which is about a New York strip club. And that's going to be coming out in single issues starting next year on Kickstarter. That's my first... Well, you know, I've never done single issues yet. I've only done graphic novels so far. But next year, I'm going to balance both. I'm trying... um, I'm launching three single issue series, including Private Dance, and uh, I believe four graphic novels. So I'm going to have at least between the various launches, 
I think at least 10 campaigns next year. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, uh, it's, I want to be faster. You know, I, I made it public before. I used to use Taiwan for printing. And best case scenario, uh, sending books to Taiwan and getting them back two to four months. However, yeah. uh, the entire world at large has mostly recovered from COVID. Who hasn't is the port in our country. I don't know what it is, but Taiwan is back on pace, but the port slows everything the fuck down. So when that comes in there, these books are just held for between a month to three months longer, and it has mm-hmm. slowed my process down. So now yeah. I'm moving everything to Canada because my thought process was this, right? If I can bypass the port and make shipping to me, um, I think three to five weeks instead of what was essentially three to five months, I can, I'll pay more, yes, but I'll make more back in the long run because I can case start more campaigns. And I mean, I personally, when I don't have a campaign live, it feels wrong. I feel like I'm just like leaving people behind. You know, I always want to be active. Right. No, I, I think that that I love that the goal to be faster. And my my question is how, how like you're running four to ten campaigns a year, and yeah, I respect the heck out of it. And I just don't know exactly how to do that. And that's not really what we're here for. But I do want you to do like a six month course for me and Will that we pay you to teach us how to do it because I it's so impressive that you can well I, as a writer I can either write I can either run or I can fulfill and I haven't figured out how to do the three at the same time and I think that's amazing the balance is hard I will tell you that um my main job is writing of course you know I do freelance writing for other companies I write for Zenoscope uh, I write for American Mythology on what was their ladies oral title? I'll, I'll talk about that a, a bit later. Um, mm-hmm. There's a bit of a weird, weird thing there. Um, and some other companies here and there. And I do some ghostwriting as well. Uh, so with, with writing being my main thing, the business side of things almost becomes an escape because it's so, it's, it's not as creative. You know, I don't have to get mm-hmm. emotional about it. I can be sort of just like, stony faced into the business ma- making the right calls here and there and there I'll, um it's just so much easier for me to turn off the artist side and get the business stuff done because going into the artist side takes you know tapping into certain characters emotions and just just being using parts of my mind that I used to use to escape from my normal work, but this has now become my normal work. So it almost becomes this, uh, this temptation to break from doing the creative work and not tire myself out and instead just really get into the business side of things. So I, and then I'll end up doing too much business and I'll hunger for, for the creative. So there's that push and pull there that I, I kind of figure out as well. Um, but yeah, you know, it's largely doing good work on the business side helps me be a bit more free on the creative side to do what I want there. Mm-hmm. So I like to think of it as it's all feeding the same beast. It's just mm-hmm. different ways of doing it. What I heard is that you're doing some ghostwriting, and what I'm putting out into the universe is if anybody wants to believe that Pat 
has ghostwritten any issue of Tart and wants to buy it, um, I am perfectly fine with you checking that out and you know doing your due diligence. Uh, I mean, I mean, I might be kind of off my rocker there, but hey, I, I yeah, hey, it could have happened. Oh, and I did want to say too. Um, I am hosting a Kickstarter business. Um, I have my normal business, which is Space Between Entertainment. That mm -hmm. is how I do my, my, my Kickstarters, my merch. But now I'm starting a second business called uh, What's Wrong With Your Kickstarter? Where oh. I, I assess <laughs> your Kickstarters on multiple levels. I can okay. do a $100 level where I'll do a quick assessment. I'll write a one-time email saying, looking at the preview page before launch. Ideally be before launch because... Mm -hmm. Some of my notes are, are going to be things like, you know, the artist that you have on this cover isn't quite marketable. If you just take the L there and, and hire someone else for a cover, that, that, that could be transformative for your campaign, helping you pick the right project image and having a good day one. Because if you've already had day one and you're looking for a, a campaign to break out, it's going to be rough, you know. Um, yeah. And then I do a level where I advise throughout and then a level where I uh, run the entire campaign. Uh, so I definitely cool. am. I'm starting that big. I, I I've done a soft launch where I just tweeted about it, and I have a few clients so far, including who might be my favorite artist writer of all time, uh, in talks for something, um, and that that could be anyone though because I I have a lot of all time favorites, um, <laughs> and it's not this guy actually, but I was just talking about. Um, uh, writing from Alan Moore's plotline on my cross run at Avatar on Travis Gibbs podcast. So it, it's not him for, for those who, who caught that too. But <laughs> listen, Alan, you, you're not watching because I don't even think you have a computer. But if anyone knows <laughs> this dude and, and, and he wants to make a million dollars on a Kickstarter, Alan Moore could become a millionaire by doing his own Kickstarter like overnight. You know? uh, I About five years ago, I was like, I'm spending too much on Kickstarter. I have to make a rule nothing over 25 yeah nothing there is n no matter how much i love will i'm if anything over 25 i can't back his pat i can't back you over 25 that was my rule i Is made that, that rule on a tuesday <laughs> on thursday um i don't remember what company alan moore was doing it with um providence probably providence it oh, was the providence was campaign yeah. Yeah. Um, $125, you can get Alan Moore's autograph on graphic novel. And I knew whole hog, Alan Moore will not sign anything anymore. That's his rule. If you if you run into him, he's not signing it. There, it's not happening. So two, 48 hours after I made my rule that I wouldn't back anything for over $25. <laughs> I backed Providence for 125 and I said, I guess I'm just screwed for the rest of my life. Um, so yes, Alan Moore could make a million dollars easily on a campaign. Guaranteed. Yeah. I mean, come on. It's, it's such an easy bet. Alan Moore, Al Alan Moore should come to me. I can help become a, a, a millionaire just in exchange for all the now, beautiful stories that, that, uh, that he's given us. You know? Of course, Alan Moore could be a millionaire by just accepting the checks that would <laughs> rightly oh, rightly be I mean, his yeah. if he accepted them. So uh, he's definitely his own beast when it comes well, to Well, yeah, here's the thing, though, too. You know, like, 
I say this and I'm joking because obviously Alan Moore doesn't value becoming a millionaire. You know, that's that's mm -hmm. a pretty cool part about him. You know, like I I I see myself as I, I see myself as before a businessman, before you know, the ultimate G of Kickstarter before any of that, right? I, I I consider myself to be a creator first and foremost. I I am an artist in the true sense of the word, not in just that I draw, I don't. I I create and that is my passion. That's my love. That is I'd be doing this if my Kickstarters weren't getting funded. Mm -hmm. They are, right? Uh, but <laughs> but but if and they you'd be, and you'd be doing it if you won the lottery for 82 million, you know, both Absolutely. ways. Right, right. I mean, dude, I would be, see, that's the thing. I would be doing, if I won the lottery, I would be doing 10 times more Kickstarters. <laughs> I, I would have a Marcel Dupree amount of Kickstarter accounts, you know? I, I would bring <laughs> shit up. Um, but Alan Moore values the creation of his work and the the integrity of his work over anything, over all. Mm -hmm. so he doesn't, I don't think that he thinks about money in the same way that a lot of people do because, and, and, and the truth is like, I'm not like pocket watching. I don't know. I don't know what Alan Moore has made, but he, the, the joke comes from famously, he has left money behind, you know? And that is a thing that is, largely unique to him and i saw some people kind of shitting on him um i saw an, an editor who was kind of um uh jumped around from company to company to company can't really lock anything down uh shitting on alan moore about two months ago on twitter and i was just like I, all right i mean people could interpret his his uh sort of rejection of mainstream comics as him being a, an asshole but it's not you know he's been burned by mainstream comics uh he seems to be i mean by by all accounts of people who know him he seems to be a good guy he seems to be a fair guy and mm. i think that the fact that he doesn't really value the financial climb that is, I don't see that alone as a negative or a positive, but just his entire his entire persona, I see as as really worthy of immense respect. Mm -hmm. I, I, Absolutely, hundred percent. Uh, Neil Adams, I had the a moment at a show that he was at, and I I had a moment to say, look, I really appreciate the fights that you fought. For the next generation, yeah, mm -hmm. I, 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 I thank you for what you did for the next generation, and I'm sorry that it was what it was, but I thank you. And he just he, he in the most Neil Adams way, he looked at me like, "You goddamn right." <laughs> <laughs> and, and and you know that's that's it, and Neil. I, in my opinion, you know the Neil Adams and and the the Alan Moore fought the fight and we can say they won or they lost and they, they, they definitely got screwed whether they won or lost. Yeah. So that your Neil Gaiman's could get real contracts so that, you know, who, whoever can get real contracts. And there's still some, some issues in mainstream comics that I think could be better. I'm, I'm not in those rooms, but um, without giants, like, you know, Neil, 
uh, Neil Adams and and Alan Moore, nobody gets anything. So I appreciate that those those dudes said this isn't right, and I'm going to stand my ground. And uh, I, I respect the hell out of both of them. I love the fact that he was just like, "F it, I'm going to be a sorcerer." Like I love I love Alan. Moore. <laughs> there, there is no Alan Moore um, insults uh, in front of me without me saying, "Look, man." <laughs> one of the best comic writers of all time, whether you love him or hate him, we don't have this without Alan Moore. No, mm -hmm. I mean, he's, he is, you know, I've, um, I, he's just so big and so iconic in our sphere that like, I'll joke about him sometimes, you know, like, you, know, you have to, <laughs> yeah, there's funny things about the path that he's chosen and, Something that I've talked about a lot is how, you know, he has a thing that should be unique to him about how he scripts. And it's not how the final story comes out, but it's, you know, his uh, his actual scripts, the script for a killing joke, the script for mm -hmm. Watchmen, where each panel is a college essay, right? Um, <laughs> that style of writing is very well known for influencing new writers and, I I always advise writers to just in your panel description be brief, evocative, and simple. Because largely, especially now, it was less the case back then. It's much more the case now. A lot of the artists that that we're working with are running what we're writing through translators and mm -hmm. trying to run through one of those kind of long, long, long descriptions through a translator is going to be a major problem for an artist and. My shorthand advice is sometimes like don't look at those scripts as as the how to do this in comics. But in my mind, Alan Moore would say the same shit. Like if Alan Moore were working with an Italian artist who who's who uh, is learning English through this process, I really doubt that he'd be like, "All right, let's go. We're starting." You know, like, he would just be helpful to the artist because mm -hmm. that's what. That, that, that's what our job is to write these blueprints for artists. So, you know, there's a lot that can be said about him, uh, but in general, uh, absolute legend. He isn't who I'm talking about as far as hoping to connect with someone, um, one of my Kickstarter icons. Uh, but yeah, I, I was surprised. I, uh, I posted on Twitter that I'm starting this Kickstarter business and I heard from people in the comics industry who I've never spoken to before, people who I, I've been a fan of, both writers and artists. Um, I'm not sure that there's going to be a fit with everybody, but mm -hmm. it was it was interesting seeing who pays attention, you know, because there's, there's who I interact with, you know, that there, there are some people who I'm big fans of, um, who I see as legends, who I see as the goats, who, you know, I've spoken to about, you know, just bullshit on Twitter. Um, mm -hmm. But there's a lot of people who I see sort of as like, you know, those who probably, I would think they wouldn't know who I am. Um, but opening this business, even though I don't even have my site up yet, just talking about the service has really showed me that, that people are out here listening to all of us, you know? No, I, but I think it's, it's wonderful that you're doing this. We, you know, we bring up Tyler James a lot. We, we bring up Russell, Russell Nohelty a lot, you know, like, people who've done it over and over and over again, uh, Madeline Hustle Rowling um, of mm -hmm. the Boston Metaphysical. She, she has her Kickstarter book. Like 
it's really amazing when I see people like, like, you know, you four specifically, you know, bring up our, our mutual friend, Charlie Stickney, you know, people that have done it, have succeeded and are willing to, um, you know, share what you've learned. And yeah. what I'll say is having spent money in the Tyler James course, and that's where Will and I met, I, mm-hmm. I recommend that because it puts skin in the game. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's, you're, it's easier to ignore free advice. Yes. Than it, free, <laughs> it's easier to ignore free, amazing advice than it is to ignore good advice you paid for. And, yes. you know, yes. like, I know I've watched your campaigns. I think, I, I think we met, like, you know, two, three years ago. I've watched work. I've watched the, the campaigns mm-hmm. be delivered. I've watched the books. Be, I've read the books. They're good. So I'm like, okay, guys, if, if you're looking to learn something, yeah. reach out to Pat. You know, and every name that I just said, I, I recommend, you know, Pat's on the show. So reach out to Pat. You yeah. know, <laughs> but 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 also, you know, if you're in more of the, the novella space, Russell might be the guy to, to reach out to because mm-hmm. he's got a foot in both things. You know, Tyler has the, the comics launch pro, which I love. Um, you can you can pop over and talk to Charlie, uh, but uh, he didn't have a, a business. So, mm-hmm. yeah, like forget Charlie. But I, <laughs> what I'm saying is the people who've done it and you've seen them do it and produce and deliver over and over again, they've learned some things. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. it is great. It is a great idea to pay for that wisdom because you will listen to it more than if it's free. And that is the weirdest thing about human nature. But it's true. That is true. Um, and that is, you know, I here's the thing. I a few of the people who reached out to me, some of the newer creators um, were put off by the idea that they have to pay up front because (laughs) the fact of the matter is that as much as I can give advice, I can't guarantee someone's going to take or properly implement the advice, no matter how, how specific I get, you know? And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, any professional would know, of course, I'm not going to take a piece of the campaign. That's mm-hmm. a ridiculous idea because that's contingent on not what I'm offering as a service, but how someone else is able to perform based on what they interpret I've said or or, or based on even what they take of what I've said. You know, mm-hmm. um, I generally feel that if anyone, no matter who it is, if anyone listens to what I say, they could have a successful campaign. So it's not a matter of that, but it's it's exactly what you said. It's that paying for the advice makes the advice have more weight. Um, yep. I, I mean, I've also I have given free advice. You know, I uh, mm-hmm. I give free advice not only in direct emails but also through Twitter. I'll I'll just yeah. pop on Twitter and I'll fire off some Kickstarter advice, and so some of it is the same advice. That I give when I charge, I, I just feel generous some days. It's just more general, not specific. You're not yeah. saying you, Kevin Joseph, need to look at this log line because this isn't selling the book. It's right. hey guys, when you're looking at the log lines, you have you have to be more specific. And you know, th- there's 
there's something to be gleaned, but, but there's nothing wrong with, with it. And I know you and Charlie were doing the, the Twitter spaces for a while where there was a lot of really great of stuff course, you yeah. sharing. Twitter spaces. That's a great, great little part of Twitter. Um, Twitter in general, and I'm not hopping on the, you know, Twitter sucks because of Elon Musk. I feel like people didn't remember. Twitter has always been run by the devil. You know, Twitter, <laughs> Twitter is not friendly to creators. Twitter has always had an algorithm that suppresses people leaving Twitter. They want you on Twitter constantly. And through that, they've really boosted uh, engagement with people arguing. You know, they, well, they, I'd say they really boosted engagement with people named Elon Musk. So they're working yeah. <laughs> with a very important uh, population of the ownership group. So I think they're really winning now. Yeah, but they, they definitely want us on the platform 24-7. Yeah. They want us to be arguing. Creators have had to find ways forever to hide our links and to sort of find these workarounds. So Twitter has always been bad for us. However spaces please please don't change spaces don't change <laughs> twitter spaces are great the fact that they show up as a small unintrusive circle on top of the app as soon as you log in and whatever space of anyone you're following even if you don't follow the host of the space if someone you follow is in a space the little circle is there and you can click on and hear what they're saying immediately that is to me, it works against Twitter's biggest problem. Twitter's biggest problem is that it makes us boil down nuanced thoughts to these digestible bits that we can take out of context and tear one another apart over. Twitter spaces, on Twitter spaces, I refuse to be taken out of context because I'll make my point to its completion, you know? <laughs> and that is, that is a rare feature on Twitter because Twitter seems defined by the opposite. Mm-hmm. So, Pat, you've one of the reasons you kind of came to my notice, and I think it was probably about the same time, was you have such a freaking great eye for artists, man. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. I mean, Jen St. Ange uh, yeah. is, is, I was like, hey, I, I see her, you know, doing some of your covers, doing some stories. I'm like, I need to get her for a cover on, you know, Crossover Division, and that worked out great. Um, so, oh, nice. awesome. yeah. so, Thanks for being such a great art scout that then, you know, I can steal from. I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> no, I mean, dude, I, I've said it before and I mean it. Uh, uh, Top Cow, Shadowline, and Marvel. I'm going to start sending you, you invoices. You know, like I, <laughs> I work as your talent scout. That's, yeah. that's my main, my main job. <laughs> I'm going to start sending invoices out. And, um, but no, that, I mean, that's, that's true. Like uh, I, I've given a lot of great artists their first gigs and I am, I'm proud that these companies see, see what I do in them. You know, I think that it's great to see artists start with me and then branch off and do their own things, you know, do, do, do uh creator owns at companies like image, do a uh, work for hire at companies like Marvel where they can, you know, boost their profile. Uh, that's that, that's been a fun part of creating as well. Um, there are some artists that I definitely want to keep for as long as I can, you know, and, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but, but no, yeah, I mean, I, um, it took a while. I actually talk about this a lot in spaces because, um, mm -hmm. a, a friend of mine, uh, Stokes 
Stokes is a new, a relatively new writer. Yeah. He runs spaces all the time. And he, you know, it, it's interesting because he, uh, he's done, let's see, he's done, I believe, between three and four campaigns now. And mm-hmm. on, on Kickstarter. So I know like, Decay one, two, and three. So at least yeah. three. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Stokes to me is the definition of why uh we should listen to everybody because stokes has a lot of uh great points of view that may differ from someone who has been working in comics and doing things a certain way for a long time he Mm -hmm. he definitely has that uh because he's been doing this for about two years now he has that sort of uh why can't we do it this way energy you know which Mm -hmm. i think is really cool and important um but yeah I talked to him a lot about how important it is um, in the early stages to actively work on developing your eye because I was, uh, I was at Zenoscope starting my first work for hire for them in late 2011 and as a staff writer and editor for them starting 2012. And I would sometimes suggest interior artists who were doing a good job, try to cover I would suggest artists I would see in the wild for interiors. And looking back now, a lot of those artists, I see that I didn't get it yet. You know, I hadn't mm-hmm. my eye to see who would be good at what I kind of thought like, you know, if this artist can do one beautiful image, then they could piece together six beautiful images and tell a story. But that isn't always the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, a lot that goes into seeing what works on a certain type of piece of art, whether it be a sequential page, a cover, a trading card. Um, you know, there's there are great artists who I've worked with who I'll be talking to uh, Shannon Lee, who is the editor on all my stuff, and we have the conversation, oh, like, so-and-so can't do covers, period. Like, th- th- we can't have it happen again, you know? Um, and we'll try artists out and we'll see what works here and there. I mean, there are covers that I've put out that, that I had a vision that wasn't really met, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I like to make sure that everyone gets to see the fruits of their labor. So I have put these out historically, but largely um, I do have a vision that I, how can I phrase this? that I'm trying to pick the best fit for every single possible idea that I have um, for every type of cover. I try to hit a certain, a certain vibe with every cover on each campaign. That's very different. So if you look at a campaign and you only want one cover, there's something for that kind of reader. However, if you're a collector, I want you to look at my campaigns and look at the covers and think, wow, Every single cover sets a different mood. None of these can be skipped. I have to have every single one of these. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely important to look at an artist's work and and you know sort sort of see the future. You know, sort of figure out Pump the weed and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> future and figure out just by looking at their style which of your cover concepts they would work for what how they would do on a certain title, uh, th- that kind of thing. Just being able to know that in advance is, 
it's a very difficult skill to hone and it's an mm -hmm. underrated skill when it comes to writers and editors and comics for sure. So I've, you are a, uh, an overnight sensation mm -hmm. that took 10, 10 years of nights to uh, come to fruition. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because that's, I, that's, I, I think a lot of people, they just see now, right. Oh my God, this Pat Shan guy just had, you know, a six figure Kickstarter. You know, he's, he came from nowhere. Well, no, he's been here putting in the work yeah. every day for 10 years. So, you know, it's, I mean, you know, you, you mentioned uh, Stokes, you know, he's been mm -hmm. here for two years and he's got, you know, that energy to, you know, he, he's you know, lovingly, he's lovingly aggressive. I, I love mm -hmm. the fact that he wants to get out here and take it. And mm -hmm. I think that's a wonderful energy to have, but it's also, you need to know that, you you got you got thirty steps to get to to even so you can run up the first eighteen steps and you can and be angry yeah. or you can walk up the first thirty steps and be okay and so how do you how do you talk to people who are coming in and they have a great first issue like like. They've written, they've drawn, whatever they are, and you, you see that they have it. They've got the talent, they've got the skill, but they've only done the issue and the audience isn't ready for them. What what advice do you have for creators like that? All right, so for a creator who delivers an incredible first issue, to me, if you can do it once, you can do it again. The only advice I'll give there is just keep doing it. Uh, keep... Keep look at what works for you here mm -hmm. and do it again. And, and every single time you do it, elevate it a little bit. You know, just uh, try a bit harder, uh, be a bit, hone your eye a bit more for the artist. You know, I, um, I do give art notes to make sure that every, you know, I, I want in my work, I really value the human experience through characters. I, I want the expressions of characters to, to be evocative. I, I want it to be subtle. I want you to look at a page and not see a disparity between the story and the way characters are acting, you know? And I think that if, if creators can continue to hone every level of what they're putting into and also every level of how they collaborate with an artist, with a letter, with an editor, I think that's going to be the way to elevate. Um, and yeah, I mean, as far as like, uh, as far as what, what Stokes does online too, like that, that's even, that's outside even of doing a, a, a good first issue. I think that a lot of the way to stand out not in just comics, but in every creative field is to have a unique presence. And I think that's very underrated in comics. Comics is big on tribalism, on groupthink, on just, you know, you'll look at your Twitter feed and any tweet could come from any mainstream comics person. You know, like it's 
People are all saying the same shit about the same topics over and over and over. Crossover oh, Division is the best comic ever made. Oh, I can't see everybody wrote Crossover Division. Oh, <laughs> my God. Have you read Crossover Division? Oh, my God. These people. Gail Simone, Scott Snyder, always talking yeah. about Crossover Division. They just won't stop. I, I've seen it, I too. Know. You know, I, I had to actually mute Crossover Division on Twitter. So I You have to. You have to. Sorry I, about that, guys. I, I turn against it, but then I read it, and I'm like, God, oh, it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. Like, what happens on Twitter also happens in, in person. You know, I uh, I would go to comic book conventions and I would walk in the door and everyone would just and they would, and they would go, "It's him! It's him! It's him!" So I had to just take everyone aside and go, you know, it, it's getting kind of awkward. You know, I when I come you just in, have to get used to it, buddy. Yeah, I'm just like. I come in and I'm still waking up, you know, so I, I definitely, I, I think I the problem that. is being carried in on, on, I don't, I don't know what the Egyptian card is called, but I think that's your problem. If you weren't yeah. carried in by 12, um, serfs, I think uh, you might true. not get that. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. I, I should tell my, my people to stop doing it that way. You know, they were just trying to save me some energy, you know, but maybe, yeah. <laughs> Um, hey, have, have they stopped putting, you know, the rose petals in your path? You know, I know that that was that was definitely, you know, a, a, the possibility of, you know, slipping and falling. You know, there, there could be some, you know, workplace violations there. You no, know? no, it's true. Yeah, the, the, the yeah, roses, you know, that started, Um, it just ended up feeling a bit too, too, too performancey. So I had them switch to cherry blossom flowers. Ah, that makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I, I appreciate how Stokes is online because I, I feel like in comics, there's this idea that I have to be humble. I have to, you know, there's, I see writers mm -hmm. constantly doing this. They promote themselves by undercutting themselves. They say, um, I mean, I've seen multiple times people tweet shit like this, where they say, um, my new issue is uh, I'm so lucky to work with these amazing artists. Thank you for them for turning my script into something gorgeous. I don't know what I would have done without you. I um, and they even go as far as to like jokingly insult themselves. They'll be self-deprecating, saying yeah. like um, they turned my mess into something beautiful. And it's yeah. like, I, I bro, that that makes me not want to read your shit. You know, they, that that <laughs> makes me think that you aren't confident in in yourself as a storyteller. So. Why would I be interested in what stories you have to tell? You know, like I, I feel like that doesn't do what those creators think it does. That does a disservice to the creative team. That's almost like saying, "Hey, I didn't do my best. I, I, I was carried this issue." And Stokes is the opposite of that. Stokes is, you know, Stokes has what I consider to be healthy bravado, and I, mm -hmm. you know, I have marketed the same way too. You know, I, I think it's okay to sort of play a bit of a character, you know, um, yeah. and to, you know, just to make marketing interesting because the, the truth is just like, you know, the comics community on Twitter can be a bummer sometimes, you know, you, you go on and everyone's always talking about the most serious shit. And most of it isn't even about comics. It's, it's either about, you know, a controversy within comics that is, you have to study shit to know about, like, I mean, for example, you know, the whole blockchain shit. A lot of what I saw when Kickstarter announced blockchain, um, and they didn't even announce blockchain. Kickstarter said, essentially, we're thinking about doing this in the future, and the comics industry went off. And mm -hmm. so many of the tweets said some shit like, 
why should I be mad about this? But not in the way where, where they were, you know, defending Kickstarter or expressing ignorance. They were saying, I'm mad about this because you are. Tell me why we're mad. And, you know, and that's just like, bro, like you, you are not thinking about things. You know, why? Right. If you don't know about a topic, why go along with the crowd? Why not either read about it or shut the fuck up about it? You know, like I, yeah. I don't talk about that kind of stuff because I don't read about it. Like I don't know a lot about these topics, so I don't make it yeah. about. I don't make it what I put as my front-facing look. On you know, I talk about what I want to talk about. It's not fun for me to go on and just see people complaining about the industry constantly. I want to have fun on social media. You know, I mm -hmm. want to. <laughs> just cheap. Nah. <laughs> it really is true you know and um, it's it's kind of hard not to at some point i did i did want to talk to you i saw the thing with you and anthony uh about bravado and i i i kind of like both of your internet kind of um personas slash personalities um i think what i said is the toughest thing for me, and I try not to be like, my, sh my script sucked, but Ludo made it good and Cassie. Yeah. But, but it's hard for me as a writer to turn in a script and then have two editors look at it. And when I look at what they've talked about and I, I, I make the changes I agree with and I fight for the things that I disagree with what they said. And then all of a sudden the script's that much better. And yeah. then Ludo draws it and then it's that much better. And then I get the colored art and it's that much better. And then DC Hopkins letters it. And all of a sudden this, this script that I wrote that was down here that I was proud, I'm proud here. Like this is something that I don't turn it in until I think it's good, not necessarily great, but it's good. It's something worth reading and telling the story. And then I'll, the book that I'm kickstarting is up here. It's very tough for me to be too cocky about me. I I'm cocky about the book that I'm releasing. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and I think that it's, it, it's an interesting uh, discussion uh, that every creator needs to have with themselves, with each other about where is your sincere and um, true to you persona online. True to me persona online is not, I wrote the greatest script, can't wait till you read Tart 15. It's, I am so proud of Tart 15, you've got to read it. And I, it's very it's very tough to dissemble where I am you know where the art is, where the editor, and it's a it's a extremely interesting thing to kind of take apart and put together and find what works for each individual creator. Well, I'll say this too: um, the idea of the scale where your script is here and the art takes it to here, I would complicate it with this, right? Um, I think that there's two different scales because the the script is it can't be the whole. You know, if, if this is the range, a script can only hit so much. Mm -hmm. like it's not, if you if you look at a comic, it's never just the script, you know, so you can you, you, you can make the best script of all time. And it wouldn't be that much above because you still need to bring it home with the rest of it, you know. So yeah. to me, 
when you say that, you're just acknowledging that you're collaborating. You know, like that doesn't say anything negative about you that mm. someone elevates you. No, I'm great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> Darn right. Yeah, no, 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 no. You, you, you should think that. You know? it, it's my birthday. Exactly. <laughs> you should think Is that. It? And, yeah, for 30, 30 more minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, um, any art will elevate it if it's acceptable at least because then it exists as the story right i've been in situations um mostly when i've done work for hire where i will look at what the artist has done and i see oh they didn't understand this part uh they aren't communicating this this and that so then it becomes my job again to um over letters or hopefully before letters rewrite elements of the script to fit this art style. Now mm -hmm. that makes it a different thing. It, it makes it not what it could have been. And, and, right. and, and I have it a lot, you know, but it's just, I, I don't know. It's, there's no really dissection of, of trying to, to uh, see what the writer did, because the fact is that in ideal situation, the writer should be able to come in and mitigate any problems that come along as, as the process goes. You know, I, I rewrite over letters all the time, not only when there's a mistake, I will maybe catch a different vibe from seeing the art and I'll, mm -hmm. I'll open my script next to the art. And before it goes to letters, I will rewrite a lot. And so, yeah, because, because what was in narration is right there on the panel and you can just, delete it or or they've created a character that is doing something cooler than what you thought about and you kind of yeah. you jazz you know you syncopate with with the art 100 percent, yeah and um but i also you know i growing up um i loved and, and this is true of of rap music it's true of sports, and it is not true of any other creative uh, expression, art form. And I don't know why. It's in, in rap, it is commonly accepted that a rapper should think that they're number one. The genre is largely about bravado and about... You know, like most songs, I mean, not most songs, a good portion of songs are, you know, bragging bars. And uh, then in in sports, you see the same thing. You, you see athletes striving to be number one. Even if they're on a team, that they can be 100% part of the team while 100% building their legacy. But for some reason, in other art forms, I'm talking pros, I'm talking playwriting. I'm talking comics. For some reason, if you say, I want to be number one, if you say, if you see yourself that way, if you try to manifest that, for some reason, it comes off as negative. So I am pleased to see someone like Stokes who goes against that accepted grain. Because to me, that grain is one that is rooted in bitch assness, and I don't, I, I don't like that. You know, I don't like the idea of 
marketing by shitting on ourselves because again that does not do a service to the artist to me it does a disservice to the entire creative team to the final product and it's a thing that i see commonly i want i want to see people who believe in this shit to a fault i want to see i, I want to see more personality you know i want to see more weirdos you know i i i want to see more uh different vibes of people and Stokes, what drew me to Stokes is that he reminded me of someone that I would be friends with in real life, and yeah. and now we are, you know. But like, yeah, a lot of the times I'll I'll see this marketing style and these posts on social media, where if I knew this person, I and I saw them in person, I'd be like, why, why the fuck do you post that? Like that that was a that was weird, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but Stokes, uh, the, the greatest thing Stokes tweets is, I will get better at making comics today. That's his shit, yeah. That's if shit. any yeah. single person can have an issue with that tweet, they need to look at themselves because yep. I let, uh, I'm going to be honest, I let a lot of days go by where I don't get better at making comics. Now, I'm not saying Stokes every day is doing the work. Anthony is a I don't know Anthony's work schedule, but I, I know mine. And sometimes the, the the actual day job takes precedence. You know, today I got 50 Kickstarter rewards out to the post office. Dang, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know how much better I got at making comics today? Nothing. <laughs> I got books to my readers and I'm super pumped and happy. <laughs> Well, but I didn't well, get any well, better at making a page turn work, but but you know, but I love yeah, when wait, I wait, see wait. that. I think, oh, I need to get on my stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. but did you not though? I mean, that's getting be- to me, and maybe Stokes would disagree. This is his shit, so hmm. he he can define that. To me, I look at what you did as getting better at comics because you you might have not honed your actual craft but you set yourself up to have backers who believe in you, right? Mm-hmm. Long-term. So that to me, that's, that's getting better at the business of comics. I yeah. see that as, as you actually getting, I mean, 50 packages in a day is great. That's, you know, that's, that that's some hustler shit. You know, like, that's great. I think that, I think that you did get better at making comics today. I, I, <laughs> I made, I made at least 38 people happy. <laughs> So we talk about the business of comics and just kind of a quick aside for me, you know, when crossover division started out, I was going to do an eight page pitch package and I was going to go to publishers. Yeah. Heck yeah. And, and then the pandemic hit and publishers just said, screw you guys. We're not doing anything. And I'm like, okay, which made me think, well, why do I need a publisher? Now, I, I get it. There are certain, there are, there are valid reasons to have a publisher, especially if you want to get into the market that is the direct market. But from a, I'm going to get my work out there. Do we need that? Because Can I ask one Kickstarter. question before yep. you ask your question? Mm-hmm. Did you ever think about not having a pandemic? Isn't that on you, Will? It is. I'm such a dick, you know. <laughs> All right, no, but, no I mean, the, the the question I I think my question is, 
and for someone you know like you pat who've had some tremendous success with kickstarter do you need the direct market versus do you want the direct market i mean it, it, that's the question yeah um yeah i don't need it i i definitely don't need it i mm-hmm. when i do direct market work it is it's a marketing tool and it is fun for me i I was staff writer at Zenoscope from 2012 to mm-hmm. 2016. And I didn't write any of their titles again from 2016 to 2021. And I'll, I'll say here, um, in 2021, I took on Van Helsing again. And I did it because I started to read their work again. Because, you know, I for, for those who don't know Zenoscope stuff... Uh, there's a, a lot of perceptions about Zenoscope that is that are wrong. That that company creates, they have a shared universe of uh, public domain horror, fantasy, and superhero characters. That is their universe. It is the vibe inside is much like Marvel to me, but better. And I, my time there, I essentially wrote all the characters that I had interest in. I had long runs on all those characters. And then when I left, I felt, I felt done. Um, but I picked up reading my friend Dave Francini's bell series. Bell was a, a new character uh, who was sort of like the grim universe. That's the shared universe, the, the grim universe, Batman. And I read it and I thought it was so good. And through it, I could see how in the years since my absence, not only had there been new characters added who expanded the universe, but there was also changes to existing characters that excited me. So I came back on Van Helsing. And uh, when I talked to Dave about the beginnings of my work with, with, with him again, he said, why don't you stay on Van Helsing for all of 2022? We do year-long arcs. We'll, we'll do a year-long arc with you on Van Helsing. And I'm writing the finale of the arc today. And I talked to Dave Franchini and Dave Wall, who, who run the ship there now. And I was like, hey, guys, we're at the end of my year-long run. Let's just decide if we want to re-up and I'll do one more year or we'll see if I want to go on to a different title. And we talked, and I'm staying on Van Helsing for the foreseeable future. Um, and the reason that I'm doing that, um, beyond their reason for having me, the reason that I'm doing that, the reason that I came back at all was because it was fun. You know, it was mm-hmm. it was fun collaborating with writers and to write f- with and from their outlines to to sort of play with characters in a way that's different from how I do it alone, you know? Mm-hmm. And the same is true of my other work for hire and and my DM creator own work. I see that too as just another way to be seen, to do work, to get people out there, you know, buy my stuff. But I could I could operate on just Kickstarter. And I would be a hundred percent successful, um, but I don't want to just be a success in one realm. I want to be a success in everything that I do. I want to have a great Kickstarter presence, a great DM presence, but I don't need any one form of release that that's going to entirely define me in, in, in any way. You know, I I feel that I could do anything. You know, and that if I put my mind and my creativity and my team building effort toward it, I think that I could be successful in 
any endeavor. So no, I, I don't, I definitely don't need the direct market. That's awesome. Shawnee cool. says that's great, Pat. I like Xenoscope and Van Helsing is one of my favorite characters. She's so fun to write, you know, uh, she, uh, things are changing a bit after this current run because this run, she's sort of been in the, in the depths of depression as she looks back toward her past and realizes some dark things about her upbringing um, and uh, her her journey as an inventor and a hunter. Uh, but now, now that she's worked some things out, we're having major fun as we sort of reinvent what a Van Helsing book is. Cool. So you, you started at Xenoscope in 2011 so pre-kickstarter or pre-kickstarter oh, yeah. becoming a, a thing um since you were let's just say kind of on the inside of the direct market at that point was there what was the kind of perception of kickstarter you know kickstarter comics are they real comics you know are they real creators or you know what what was the what was the perception from you know, a company that, you know, was in the direct market ver of, of Kickstarter. Was it competition? Was it just, you know, these are just those weird indie guys doing their indie crap, you know? I mean. <laughs> uh, I'll say this. Um, first, I'll talk about Zenoscope, and then I'll talk about the industry at large, because I've had these conversations with other publishers as well. Um, Zenoscope has always been an outlier. They've always been ahead of the game because they're separate from the game. If you look at interviews with Ralph Tedesco and Joe Brasha, they have never followed industry trends. They've always spoken their minds. Uh, they have always been these lone wolves who have cut their own path in comics. And they were one of the first publishers that I'm aware of that I would consider to be a big publisher who used Kickstarter. They used it back in... I think it was 20, probably 2013. It could have even been 2012. It really could have been 2012. Uh, they did a case start to fund a pilot for the Grim Fairy Tales animated series. They put out on DVD and Blu-ray and I was at a screening for it. And that was before Kickstarter was even a thought to me, you know? And at the time, while Zenoscope was embracing what would be, I mean, to me, Kickstarter, Kickstarter is, I compare it to the renaissance of image, to, to those creators leaving uh, these corporations and setting out on their own and creating image. Kickstarter, to me, is the next iteration of that. Now, I would argue it's even bigger, but that's a, a discussion to be had. Um, but Zenoscope was far ahead of the curve there. While Zenoscope was doing that, there were other publishers who were who were eyeing Kickstarter while also looking down at the creators who were using Kickstarter. You know, they they were eager to, to for the the uh, for the industry at large to warm up to corporations doing it while while judging creators who could do it as oh they just couldn't get it made when that couldn't be further from the truth. You know the um. And over the years, too, the quality of what people are bringing to Kickstarter has dramatically increased. And, I mean, do you remember the time? Uh, it must have been... Do must have been 2016. Do you remember? <laughs> um, 
uh, when uh, goddamn Archie, Archie tried to do three Kickstarters. They announced, uh, the they, they announced the whole shit, and I missed it, the Zenoscope, but I remember the Archie, and it was I just, the it was just people who hadn't paid any attention. Yep, coming and I, I Doing rooted, something. I love Archie. I, I love, yeah. like, I think the first comic I ever probably had bought for me was, you know, sitting in public saying, mommy, can you buy me, you know, Archie and Jughead? And so like, there was a part of me where it's like, I really wish this could succeed because I love Archie, but they obviously just said, let's go to this island where you get money and let's not worry about any of the things where other people on other islands have made money. They were just like, we're Archie and we're on the island to give us money. And it was the saddest. It was sad to me. It wasn't oh. like, I wasn't mad. I was just sad. I wasn't. All right. So here's the thing. Um, what Archie, it's both their fault and how they rolled it out. But to me, more than anything, it's their fault in how they pulled back. To me, I mean, no offense to anyone there. It's a great company, but that could be possibly the most pussy-moving comic book history. To, <laughs> to to bend your business plans based on some bullshit people on Twitter who don't even use the platform are saying? Those creators talking yep. about, largely, those creators who are criticizing Archie for using Kickstarter which was supposed to be for the indie creators. No! Kickstarter is for creators, period. That period. Kickstarter right. is not this fucking... Keanu Reeves wants to make a million dollars for Berserker. Go, Go for it. Yes. For yeah. it. Kickstarter isn't the... Brandon Sanderson wants to make Bitcoin. every dollar. Like, he wants to make <laughs> Elon Musk's entire... Do it. Yeah, Kickstarter is not the island of misfit toys. No. And people have seen it that way. And Archie folded! They folded right away. And it, I mean, possibly the most destructive move to other publishers in the history of comics. That shit scared publishers off from using Kickstarter for fucking years. Now you're seeing publishers use Kickstarter without fear. You see Vault announce a Kickstarter, mm -hmm. not a hint of controversy. I personally no. ran Black Mask Kickstarter. I didn't hear one negative fucking thing, right? Yeah. But it's 2022, right? Years after Archie tried that shit. Yeah. There could have been publishers growing Kickstarter for years because that's what happens. These publishers are growing Kickstarter. Every time a major publisher or a major figure like Keanu, right, they come to Kickstarter, Brandon Sanderson, they grow the platform. Mm, they bring cool. people in, and Kickstarter has data on this. You know, I've um I've argued with this with these Twitter cucks who 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 who, <laughs> who say these things like, oh no no no, you're wrong. This is for us. This is for the indie creators. No, you bitch. No, it's not. It's do, not. Do you know it's how how many dollars? A Pat Shand backer has taken away from Will Allred and Kevin Joseph. Zero. 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 How many <laughs> dollars a Will Allred backer has taken from Kevin and Pat? Zero. It, it, there, this is the most additive place in the history of publishing. If Pat Shand delivers a book to a reader... And literally, it gets there because you know there was Wild West in 2014, where you know three <laughs> of 
three of seven campaigns weren't showing up. But n now most campaigns are getting here. You know what? I, you know, I, uh, Michelle Lodge, uh, Nine Crow, I just got her hardcover about a month ago and I finally got to read it. Phenomenal. Yeah. Every single person who backed that is more likely to back the three of us because it's a, a great comic book by a great creator who delivered a beautiful book. And it, it makes me so angry that anybody would think that what it doesn't make, I don't know. It doesn't make me angry that anybody would be mad at me for making money because I don't care, but it makes me mad that anybody would be mad at will for having a, gangbusters campaign yeah it's great it's great pat has a gangbuster campaign you know I, i've read thirsty it's a great book i'm so happy you made the money to put that book out you know because as long as somebody is cool with not safer work content it's a really good well-written sexy erotic story and it's like let's just build let's build a good time for readers, each and every one of us. And that's why I wasn't mad at Archie for being on, on Kickstarter. I was mad at them for kind of not doing their due diligence and creating a good campaign. I had forgotten mm -hmm. that they kind of canceled the campaign. I actually had. Entirely <laughs> back. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. here's, here's the thing too. Um, I see that a lot too. That that does annoy me a bit less so because it's more like publishers will go all in on the wrong thing. A publisher mm -hmm. will go in and and push. Oh, we hired a publicist. Vafangul, you don't give a fuck about a publicist. <laughs> What's the creator? You know who yeah. who is building the campaign? What does it look like? Right? I um, I mean, so, bro, some of these campaigns that the bigger publishers publishers the bigger editors do they don't fucking have interior artwork on the on the campaign it's like bro look, that shows people don't look at what other creators are doing on the platform when they already have a brand if you lean back on your brand and, and don't attempt to have a campaign that as good is as, as good as the next man's campaign you i, I don't see it as, as like a vulture thing because the, everyone belongs there Everyone who wants to Kickstarter to launch a project on Kickstarter belongs on Kickstarter. However, mm. I want these campaigns to do fucking amazing. I, I want every single campaign to be great when these large companies launch because that'll grow the platform more. When mm -hmm. I look at these campaigns, I mean, bro, there's a there's one that launched recently from a major IP, and they ran out of rewards. I mean, like, why? 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 Don't don't <laughs> I mean why? I, I I want all these campaigns to go in so prepared so that every time that they come on, there's more people going to your campaigns, to my campaigns. Yeah. yeah. And so that kind of comes into a question in the chat. Um, the wine and cheese, I'm gonna have to my eyes. Um I do think I understand where the fear comes from. Indies can't get visibility easily when the big pubs are present and they fear crowdfunding will work the same. And so I do understand that fear, but I think that in, in my personal opinion, um, every, my first, the first campaign I backed 
it wasn't Joe Smo's little comic book. It was Amanda Palmer's uh, album. Right. That, that's that's largely that's largely the entryway. Yeah. <laughs> so so somebody you know I was reading the Neil Gaiman thing, his new wife. Oh, this is a cool campaign. This is fun. I jumped on. I I, I learned about this new thing, and all of a sudden I was backing comic after comic after comic, and of course. After I ran a campaign, it, it got kind of um, maybe sociopathic levels, but <laughs> but still, it came from somebody that wasn't an indie comic person. It was a, a, a well-known, um, you know, famous person or you know, whatever. So it's like knowing that I was drawn in, and I backed over a thousand campaigns in the last decade. I'm not saying it's because of Amanda Palmer, but I'm saying she was the first campaign I backed. I can't yeah, she started. be against it. Yeah, but, that, um, that, that scarcity mindset, you know, that's, mm-hmm. it's the wrong mindset to have. I see it a lot on Kickstarter. And um, I, I had the conversation in a space recently and the only inch I'll concede is this. When creators are new and have not developed their eye and are not using eye-catching art and marketing it in a way that's going to be beneficial toward them and their campaign, that is the kind of campaign that can get kind of swallowed if there are multiple other campaigns like that. However, when you reach a certain level where your campaign is appealing in a broad sense... I want to have other campaigns of equal appeal when I'm on. When I'm on, I want Charlie live every single time. I mm-hmm. want. I wish that Charlie would do a fucking Glarian every single month. Because if he <laughs> did, right? If Charlie did, right? Step it up, Charlie Stickney. If he did, anytime I wanted to launch, just because of how I know I would bring backers in and how the Kickstarter algorithm works, Charlie's backers would see me every time. Mm-hmm. Right. If Every- if you have fifteen hundred and Charlie has twelve hundred, <laughs> and then you guys kind of have a spaces or however you would do it, uh, I would say explain yourself where you and Charlie are on. I, I'm just <laughs> I'm, I'm just speaking it in the future. But are you smoking weed too? Sorry. You're. I'm. I'm, sm- I, I, I'm not. I'm not. But hey, I'm not saying. I, it was my birthday. It's not my birthday. I'm not going to do it. Uh, it's, it's after twelve, so that shit's over. Um, but what I'm saying is, say you have twelve hundred. He has twelve hundred. You probably share four hundred backers. Mm-hmm. You guys go on spaces. Yeah. And if you can get two hundred of your backers to Charlie, two hundred of his backers to you, that is extraordinary and quite honestly if you can get 15 of your backers mm-hmm. it's still going to move the needle and but uh, one thing that, that that i did miss there was a second thing he said but crowdfunding does operate different than the direct market the fear is largely yes. unfounded and yeah. and certainly i agree i apologize that i didn't see the second part of the comment um well yeah, I, you know I, I, i'm sorry i think Kickstarter is like box of chocolates, the largest comic shelf. And the thing is the, the big publishers, us indie people and everybody in between, we all get the same 
slice of that bookshelf, right? Or that comic rack, you know? And how well, how appealing, you know, just to speak to what Pat's saying, how appealing we make our project is what's going to get it eyeballs. Because the great thing about the Kickstarter algorithm, however it works, is that, you know, the discoverability becomes easier as you get more backers, right? So, but there is great discoverability on Kickstarter, which I think is a problem for some of the other competitors. You know, I mean, I, I want a huge, healthy crowdfunding mm-hmm. you know, ecosystem, but I feel like some of them just aren't quite there yet from a, right. you know, complete bells and whistles package. You know, and, and Kickstarter's not even there because, you know, I'll complain yeah. loudly about how they do their their surveys and, and you know, how you do freaking, you know, shipping with Kickstarter. It's a nightmare. Although I'm supposed to read something the next time I log in. There's there's a little thing across the top that I'm going to read. <laughs> but uh, they did something with easy shipping. I haven't read it yet, so I don't know what do, it is. Do your homework, Will. Uh, well, I, I, I know. I, I, I do want to say this, too. Like, that is true about us having the same shelf space. But I think that newer creators they learn in time though you know and mm-hmm. but it's it frustrates me more when the tried and true creators who have been doing this for years don't understand that and they will blame the lack of their campaign's success on things like Keanu you know i saw that multiple yeah. times mm-hmm. I, I saw creators who were who were who were hosting genuinely terrible campaigns campaigns and these are creators who have been who have had success before but just their specific campaigns currently during the times that i've observed this behavior weren't good flat out and they blamed their failure on external forces when in every situation it's the fault of the creator i mean i'm looking i wanted to see if this was true If, if, if i could just offhand glance at kickstarter and no and i can I opened Kickstarter, I sorted the comics section by newest, and I looked at the first six thumbnails, and these are all launched today. And what do you know? The best one has the most money. That's (laughs) that's what it is. The most professional-looking campaign. I can tell from a fucking thumbnail. The thumbnail is the best. It has a cool logo. It, It has an element of genre. It has an element of sexiness. Of course, it's going to beat these campaigns where they look like they were colored in Microsoft Paint. Like these these campaigns, no offense to any of them. Everyone has their journey, but it's just the blaming of external forces when the way to do it is so right in front of our eyes. It's wrong. You know, Um, I I scroll down more. And what do you know? Every single every single thumbnail that looks really good is the most funded out of the batch, you know? Mm-hmm. No, yeah. And it's people people who did their homework are doing a little bit better one way or the other. And uh, yeah, I, I I don't have any argument. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at this too. There are campaigns that um that are more niche. That's the one... I'll give an inch there. There are campaigns that are more niche that I personally wouldn't want to look more mainstream that mm-hmm. struggle because of how niche they are. 
Like for example, I scroll down. Oh, can I ask? Are there are there um, goals lower? Um, sometimes, but there are some campaigns where there's the backer count is very low. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm looking at one, and the the goal isn't that low, and the reward level is is both fair and high. Th this campaign is called Shitbird. C H uh, S C H I T Bird, and it's a funny drawing of a, of a uh, pigeon and it's shitting on its own logo. And I'm looking at this and every page is the pigeon shitting on something else. And personally, I think this is a funny and cute idea. I like this <laughs> a lot. I think it's really cute. Um, and it isn't doing what it should be doing. In fact, I'm going to pledge to it right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> Explain yourself exclusive. It's a, uh, there's all these, I mean, wow, there's a lot of early bird levels, um, but I want to pledge at the not early bird level to help this get funded. Wow, it's mm -hmm. a lot of shipping. Uh, that's a there you go. <laughs> but it's I will go back to digital. <laughs> that is a crazy amount for shipping domestically, but it is okay. Oh, maybe they aren't even domestic. But anyway, anyway, right. anyway, um, this campaign looks great to me. And because of this being niche, it isn't going to catch the eyes that I was talking about there. That, that, that doesn't make it a bad campaign. Correct. That's the one allowance that I'll make there. However, when you're doing something that is in the same vibe as other other IPs that work on Kickstarter, that work better, right? You got to look inward. You got to look inward. Yep. And no matter what. This campaign, my campaigns, anyone's ca campaigns cannot blame guys like Brandon Sanderson and Keanu Reeves. I almost said Kanye West. <laughs> He's doing some other shit, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, for for their campaigns, because they're growing the platform. Yeah. Well, and and what you just did, I mean, by backing that, anybody that follows you on Kickstarter just Knows got an email. Yeah, that said, hey, Pat Shan, just back this. I'm like, well, you know, shit, I back shit that Pat backs. Let me take a look at this, you know? Man, I'm a good guy, dude. You are. <laughs> You're so awesome. <laughs> so, um, I, my, my eyes are so bad. You'd never see one publisher promoting mm -hmm. another publisher's book in a DM distributed, direct market distributed book. But in crowdfunding, everyone promotes everyone. It's all visibility, and it's a new mindset approach. Uh, yeah, I, I think that I think that one thing that I would say about that is that one thing that I believe that in the seventies and eighties that DC and Marvel knew was that there were there were two boats to get on. And you could you could you could get on both boats. You could you could definitely be a DC and a Marvel reader, but you, if you were going to read comics, you were going to read one or the other or both. Um, so mm -hmm. they, I don't think they had to kind of do this. Although I think a little bit of the uh, my distinguished competitor almost mm -hmm. promotes it a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, I mean, I mean, uh, the fact that you remember them calling it that is that, yeah. that was promotion for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that was almost a tacit promotion of comics in general um, in a way that two people who have, God, in the, in the 60s and 70s, they probably had 85% of the market, and that might be 
um, conservative. But in the in, in the late eighties, you know, with you know Comico and a couple, of, they might have had seven percent. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I I don't think they had to now. When you're sharing one percent of a hundred thousand dollars, which is what Kickstarter might be doing, or even five percent of a hundred thousand or ten percent. Mm-hmm. There isn't the competitive nature that it is when you're trying to fight for 51% of a million. And I think that's the difference between what we know of the direct market in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and the Kickstarter market of today. We're trying to fertilize this farm. We all have a small amount of um, acreage in this farm. And if we can build it all up, I might have pineapples and pineapples might be worth, you know, $12,000 and Will might have oranges that, that are worth 30 and Pat's coming in. He's like, I've got an idea. I want to do avocados. And we're like, let's see how avocados work. And it's like, <laughs> no one's going to buy less pi- pineapples if avocados work well. And I think that's where we are with crowdfunding right now in comparison to the direct market in the 80s Mm -hmm. 90s and today and you know it's there's nothing right or wrong about all that but it's super interesting to talk about no i mean yeah i uh i noticed that again kudos to zenoscope whenever i do a stream with zenoscope at the end they always say promote your other stuff too like they'll say what do you have coming out from us and what do you have coming out from not us? And I've seen it a few times in um in uh, some back matter. I remember um uh in it, it was an issue of Buffy from Dark Horse. The editor uh, was sort of shouting out the writers' other work from publishers, and I thought that was cool because it was rare. On Kickstarter, yeah. it is not rare. On Kickstarter, yeah. we not only do we choose see here's the thing we always talk about um creators do these exchange of updates where like say Mm -hmm. will you're live i'm live we'll do an update exchange i'll shout your campaign out put a few pieces of art in the campaign a link and you do the same for me that's great what we don't talk about that much is that well kickstarter is already doing for us right in that Mm -hmm. update not on the actual update page, but on the email. If you look at that yeah. email, on the bottom, Kickstarter has already randomly selected, or maybe based on popularity, other campaigns that they put there. That's great. Yeah. That's Kickstarter is already doing the promotion work for us because mm-hmm. they're also benefiting from these campaigns that do well, you know. I um mm-hmm. I was uh while I was running and still am running, you can go there right now, it's tinyurl.com slash four twenty comic two. <laughs> um, while I was uh, and am uh, promoting this Kickstarter, my one that I did uh, that I ran for Black Mask Studios, while that was live, I would see that showing up in my emails all the time that I was sending out personally. And I wasn't doing it on purpose. It was just there. And yeah. so Kickstarter was helping me promote other people without me even really knowing at first. And that that's great. And that's the, that's, I mean, there are many things that algorithm and how the algorithm works for creators mm-hmm. is the main thing that competitors like Zoop and back of kid, now that back of kids doing campaigns, 
and uh, crowdfunder heh, are, are 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 missing. Like, it's not gonna those campaigns sites cannot keep up with this interwoven web of an algorithm that kicks. I mean, kick, listen to this. I was talking before about how Twitter's algorithm is meant to push creators down. Before Elon, before all that, it has always been designed as is Facebook, as is Instagram. What they want you to do is, oh, you want me to uh, uh, to promote your links? Pay me money, right? That's what those sites do. Kickstarter is essentially a mixture of a crowdfunding campaign, a newsletter, and a social network. And it's the only social network that boosts the algorithm in a way that makes you make money without paying out. They'll take a percentage, yes, but there's no ad costs. There's none of that shit. Kickstarter, the algorithm is the one algorithm in the history of social media that works for us. <laughs> yep. And it wasn't built overnight. And that I think that's the thing about, you know, it, it has grown and they've made it work better and better over the years. And that's something that, you know, Crowdfunder hasn't got to yet or Backerkit, you know, with their crowdfunding or Zoop or any of them haven't really got to yet because they don't have all of the, the eyeballs, history, you know, yeah. the right. history to get it all there. I mean, and, and I, I hope that they get there. I really do. But uh, for right now, I mean, if, if someone came to me and said, hey, I want to, you know, I want to do some crowdfunding. I'm doing comics. Where should I go? The answer is Kickstarter. Oh, hell you yeah. I, hell yeah. And <laughs> the fuck was I going to say? You're going to oh, say. Oh, right. Zoop. Okay, Zoop. I want to say this. I have talked to Jordan from Zoop multiple times. I I think he's a good guy. I think that Zoop has potential. I talked to you, though. On Twitter. I'm sorry. I'm 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 now drunk. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. He, he was I'm he, sorry. That that was drunk, Kevin. Just trying to. No, 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 no. Drunk Kevin should be honest, Kevin, because here's the thing: there is a world of difference between beneficial now and potential. Right? Zoop has potential to be viable in five years if they can bring bare minimum what Kickstarter has done for an, an algorithm. What it needs, though, is something that it can't do by itself. It needs, <laughs> it needs creators to sort of dive on their own sword. You know, right now, if you do a Zoop instead of a Kickstarter, you're out of your mind. But at the same time, for Zoop to become viable, we need people who are out of their mind to do this to develop the algorithm so one day there is a competitor so maybe one day there's a choice because right now first of all right now there doesn't even need to be a choice because kickstarter is great but who knows what the future will bring you know exactly. I, I i want there to be a choice maybe mm -hmm. maybe one day elon Musk takes over kickstarter and hey <laughs> maybe maybe he'll make it amazing maybe he'll make it better or maybe he'll wait, make wait, it wait wait wait, wait 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 the first thing you <laughs> said was Perfectly plausible based on history. The second thing, the second thing you said based on history was in goddamn insane. Well, um, yes. Knows, but all I'm saying is that Elon could buy Kickstarter for like eighty-two billion dollars. Sure. Yes. Let's the period. 
Now go on. <laughs> All I'm saying is that anything could happen. Anything could be waiting for us in the future. So I genuinely hope that Zoop one changes their name, of course. <laughs> and two works hard to become an equal to Kickstarter. Because it anything is possible, right? That yeah, is I mean, a good thing. One thing that has come out, Shawnee, uh in this last week is uh Kickstarter has basically I I don't know the ins and outs, but it seems to be um back backer kit has created their own crowdfunding. Now Kickstarter was ignoring that um backer kit taking money from the surveys for a long time now that backer kit is running their own campaigns kickstarter is trying to take that back so it will be very interesting to see what competition does between kickstarter running a campaign and backer kit delivering it and backer kit running a campaign etc I, I'm really interested to see what what comes from Kickstarter being pissed off about Backerkit creating their own uh, crowdfunding site. Well, I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm interested in seeing it. I have a dog in the fight, and I'll tell you, uh, Zoop, Zoop. I want to do well. Backerkit to me sucks dick. I, <laughs> I, I hate that they're. They, they they charge a percentage based fee, and for mm-hmm. what? What? There's nothing that their service does that increases what? in difficulty as the backer number increases. Uh, okay, so I'm totally ignorant. Um, what's the difference between the Kickstarter percentage and the backer kit? Because I I haven't looked into it. Kickstarter percentage. Well, the the problem is this: Kickstarter charges a percentage to host your campaign. Mm-hmm. Fair, right? Backer kid charges a percentage to run your survey. What? <laughs> that, that's to me a percentage based charge should either be something that is that functions in perpetuity. The, the the Kickstarter function is the campaign exists because of us. We're hosting you. Boom, makes sense. Backer kid is doing a one off service. They're building a survey that. We're as creators, we're building it. Why, why does that service increase exponentially as the campaign does? That that makes absolutely no sense. I, I I would have to pay thousands and thousands and thousands more to run a cheeky backer kid, which would be the same amount of work for backer kid as someone who did a five hundred dollar campaign. That that's it's it's absolutely ridiculous, and I. I heard I heard such good things about Backer Kid that I tried it out, and in seeing their communication and seeing how the entire platform was laid out, as far as the survey, I would never try a campaign there. I was trying the survey manager there, um, and I hated it. I hated how it was done. I asked to pull out, and I I regretted it as soon as I accepted the. Uh, the percentage-based fee, which I, I ended up not having to do because I, I I pulled out b- before doing any work on it, and it's just it's not fair. I've heard that pulling out always works. I've been known as the pullout king, and that's real. <laughs> um, uh, 
<laughs> but yeah, Bagger Kit, I don't get it. I don't get why people love it so much. I don't get why it has become the go-to for surveys to the point where um, some people will not purchase add-ons thinking that the creator is going to do a backer kit. I, I, I want that to stop because one, it's charging. It, it bro, you hear my cats down there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're going off. Uh, <laughs> charging a percentage-based fee is predatory toward the bigger clients. I don't think it makes any sense whatsoever. And then, just. They don't offer anything more than the Kickstarter survey. Bless you. They don't offer anything, in my view, that the Kickstarter survey doesn't offer, that the backer report doesn't offer. I don't like it at all. So them, I, I don't see them being like the one that steps up as the big contender. Can I, can I ask one question? Yes. This is totally honest. Are you an organized <laughs> human? Wait a second. Are you organized? I'm, a, I'm organized as fuck, yeah. Okay. Will is organized. I, I, I wonder if for people, and I'm speaking completely like, I'll pretend I'm not organized. I'm, I'll pretend that I'm the type that doesn't do Excel. The, the Kickstarter add-ons are confusing and I worry with in, in a way that is almost paralyzing, that I won't know who is getting them. And I don't have that fear with the way Backerkit creates it. And I don't know if that's me, Kickstarter, or Backerkit. So I'm happy to do Backerkit. I'm happy to yeah. um, sell enough add-ons to pay for the Backerkit to feel like the I have a th 300 backers and 30 people do add-ons and I feel like I'm going to get 29 of the 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 add-ons right yeah so that maybe I have to pay shipping for the one person I messed up because I missed something I I don't see that that Kickstarter's add-ons are um intuitive um easy to understand or organized Whereas I do see that for backer kit, but I know Will is an XL guy. You're organized. It may be the situation of somebody who really knows how to, to work on the front end versus somebody who has to work on the back end. Yes. I, I would complicate it with two things and then, then reiterate and expound on one thing to complicate things as an organized person. I find Backer kits, how would you phrase it? Their interface, trying to understand how backer kit organizes things and just the look of the site. To me, where's the masterclass? The shit is, is not intuitive. It's so difficult. It is 10 times harder to me to be organized on backer kit than it is on Kickstarter. Maybe once you learn the site and know the ins and outs of how it works, to me, it just seems like so much more work. I know that um, uh, Charlie, Charlie and I, I listen. Charlie Stickney, I love him. Is he the is, worst, right? We can all <laughs> say that, right? The Charlie, worst. I Charlie is my man. He is a real life friend of mine. I keep trying to insult him, and no one will come with me on this. I have an insult coming. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have an insult coming. Char, Charlie and I, 
Um, I, I consider him a real life friend, but yeah. he and I disagree on everything, which makes sense because he wears a mask alone in his car. Uh, but, but, <laughs> but he he's made he is a major backer kid advocate. Wow, Eminem backer kid advocate, you know. Um, <laughs> um, he's a major backer kid advocate. Who, I'm on it. Who, uh, who uh, he thinks it's easier, and that's so it's it, it's not it isn't that I'm right and everyone else is wrong, but <laughs> but it's not. People have different needs, you know. People yeah. want different things from from different platforms. But to me, the only thing that I will never concede on is that a percentage based fee for a service that doesn't change and doesn't add work for the actual people providing the service, it makes no sense. It's predatory. To me, it should be tier based that caps. There should be a definitive cap to a building a back kit cost. Of course, charge a percentage of what you're selling through the add on store. That makes sense. But to charge a percentage of the original campaign that Backer Kid didn't have a goddamn thing to do with it, fuck out of here. You know that that makes absolutely no sense to me. Hmm. Well, I would. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to throw a wrinkle in that for you. Um, hey, one, do you have time? Backer, Backer Kid has the uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, Backer Kid has the promotion service now, so they'll actually come in before you do your campaign on Kickstarter. You know they'll they have a. The launch, the launch, yeah, backer kit launch. Yes. That's what it was. Thank you. They do, uh, um, and that I think is that is something that Kickstarter should. I should be able to go to my Kickstarters and say I want to email all of the backers that I've had. Period. One yeah. time. I yes. can do that with backer kit. I can't do that with Kickstarter, which is hugely annoying. It's insane. Uh, the other I thing. The, the other thing that for me, the first backer kit that I set up was kind of a nightmare, figuring out that survey stuff. I mean, I had to get on a call with them and they helped me walk, finally walk through it. Once that first one was set up, I could just copy it and then change it. So it's it's yeah. gotten way easier. But what I love about backer kit is the shipping integration. I use ShipStation for my domestic stuff. So it actually makes... A database connection to my ship station. I can go push these orders magically. Boom, they're over in ship station. I then print the labels and then I hit refresh and backer kit, and suddenly those are all marked as shipped. It's just, it's freaking magic and I love it. Now, is it worth a percentage of the campaign? Uh, you, you've got me thinking about that, but I do love the shipping part of backer kit with the segments and everything. All right, yeah. so I can. I think that your first point helps ties in with what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. That that uh, backer kit launch, right? Yeah, what it's called. Backer kit launch is is the service that will take every account that has ever pledged to you and email them in one fell swoop that you have a new campaign live. Great service, and I agree. Kickstarter for not having made this a part of their own platform is lacking, but. Kickstarter backer kit launch is a separate service from backer kit surveys. Now, yes, what is the difference in how it's charged? Backer kit launch, which is their most valuable survey, is not percentage based because yes, you're right. <laughs> so, so $99, cool. bam, 
Yep, yep. $99 and a fucking percentage is not one, okay? That 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 uh, shit is is great. I think that, that, that that's a great service. And when I get to a place where I'm less salty on finding out how BackerKid works, I will probably use it. But the rest of the stuff, like as far as uh, the integration with, with ShipStation and other platforms, like I, I know Pirate Ship as well, um, I get it. I get. I don't operate that way, but I get it. I just. I also don't concede that that is worth a percentage because there are there, there are shipping platforms where you can upload an Excel sheet. You know, yep. mm-hmm. so they. Backerkit isn't offering and, anything. And by the way, the Excel sheet is exactly what Backerkit gives you to upload to those shipping software. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so me not knowing how to do it, I'm super happy, but you guys organized don't need it. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't use Excel at all, but case started too. You can just download your backer report, you know? Yeah. And, and, and that's a yeah. sheet as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just for such you know, Bagger Kit is almost it's accepted that people are gonna use it. And for mm-hmm. a service that is that widely accepted, I would think that they would offer something that even attempts in any way to earn the, the percentage to have a percentage based fee. Yep. And I don't I get you. I I, I, I will say though, as somebody who is I'm not hitting I've done fine on Kickstarter. I, I, I really have done well, it better than my dreams, and and I want to do better. But I've always paid my fee for Backer Kit or Crowd uh, Ox. I did Crowd Ox once. Kind of liked it better, and then they merged. Went <laughs> 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 away. Um, but but I've always sold enough add-ons to pay for backer kit. So for me, I've always been like, okay, it paid for itself and I've got more books out. So I've always felt personally like fine. I haven't been like ecstatic. Yeah. But, but I felt like it hasn't cost me money, but there's a, there is a world where I sell Hundred and fifty dollars in add-ons, and yeah, I'm screwed. So it, it's interesting. I don't know. Well, yeah. I'll complicate that with this. You made back what you paid out, but they also chipped away at, at your stock because this is what you had at the start of your Kickstarter, right? Mm-hmm. They take a percentage off. Right, so you you want to earn that back by putting a bit of your stock back in, and guess what? That same stock they take a second percentage off again. <laughs> like, bro, like what? Like, that 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 to me, it's indefensible. You know, like they, I think there, that the service could be good, but that's super interesting. And I, what I would say as somebody who is good with Bafferkit is, for me, it's up to Kickstarter to make me feel like I can trust their add-ons and okay. so far they haven't given me that trust i think all right there's a lot that i would say kickstarter should improve on and in fact i had a meeting with kickstarter uh developers uh this week and i gave them my brutally honest advice about what is bad and what is good um in fact 
there's one problem. It's so minor, but no one ever talks about it. When you're drafting an update or your campaign, if you hit bold for a word, it'll be bold for that one word and kick off as soon as you're on the next word. It's so subtle, but their blog interface is bad and, and that needs to be fixed. But I talked to them about a lot, including add-ons. And I think that the add-ons on Kickstarter have already gotten better in the past two years. We, we yeah. have been, we, we've gone from a place where we had to, you know, advertise add-ons as, hey, message me if you want this extra item. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. That's that, right. that, that was bad. Uh, and now they can just select it from a, a drop-down menu. Now that, that menu doesn't need images. Yes. Do, do the reward tiers need images? Yes. Kickstarter is aware of all this. These are conversations that, that are already being had, conversations that I have been part of in, in giving them feedback, both directly toward uh, the comics rep, Oriana, who was great, and also toward Kickstarter developers this week. Uh, that needs to change. And hopefully Kickstarter, you know, I actually had a small exchange with the CEO of Kickstarter, Everett, on Twitter, where I was... I was talking about how I hope that Zoop and these other, I don't think it's in, in the cards for crowdfunder. I don't think it's in the cards for bag kit, but I hope that these competitors can up their game. So Kickstarter will see what they're doing and increase what they're doing to compete. And Everett, the CEO of Kickstarter came into my mentions and said, we don't even need competition to up our game. We're already doing it internally. And I so took why, why didn't you do it two years ago then? Well, he, he came on in September. Yeah. Okay. I don't care. <laughs> I don't give a shit when you got your job. Don't tell me you don't need competition. Uh, yeah. This, this is that. Uh, okay. I, I thought it was a good response. I mean, they, uh, to me, they have gotten better. You, you know? might have yeah. thought it was. I think it's a shit response. It isn't <laughs> here. You haven't given it to us. I don't give a f where you were six months ago. Okay. Give it to us now. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I'm patient. You know, I, I think it works well as is. I think it can only get better from here. No, Kickstarter is great. Yeah. I have yeah. zero. Like I have two percent interest in looking at other things. I have zero interest in any other crowdfunding than Kickstarter for my bugs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, hundred percent. I. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I. There are some campaigns where they're, I look at. They're not perfect. I want them. I, I. I want them to keep growing. I do. I do. Always. I. There are campaigns where I've wanted to make an account and a pledge, like um. David Byrne did cancel two through back yeah. mm -hmm. and uh, I was going to pledge the day that I saw that it was over. I was like, "Fuck, I missed it! I missed it! I missed it! I missed it!" Um, but at the same time, like now, when that campaign comes to Kickstarter, he's gonna kill it. Yeah. So you want to hear my my story with that? Yeah. I cannot back backer kit crowdfunding campaigns. I can't. I don't know. Oh, well, you won't. No, no, I can't. He's a Not that I won't. <laughs> oh, your account can't do it. What? 
If I back a campaign on Kickstarter who works with BackerKit, I must fill out my survey as a guest. Somewhere, my email does not work with BackerKit. Okay. I cannot I mean, that, that to back. me basically ends the BackerKit argument, right? <laughs> That's bad. Yeah. That's bad. Iron Circus had a campaign I would have backed. Yeah. David Byrne had a campaign I would have backed. Uh, Source Point Press had a campaign I would have backed. This is three campaigns that I would have spent, you know, 25, 25, 25, whatever. Would it have changed any of their um, successes or failures? No. I couldn't back them. Mm-hmm. For That's some great. reason. That, and I, ref- I, I'm done asking BackerKit to fix it because it is so much more important to me as a creator to have BackerKit work for my campaigns than me, Kevin Joseph, as a, as a reader. Mm-hmm. I feel you at the same time, though. I mean, the fact that that could happen to any account is, is very damning. Um, mm-hmm. I have a, a kind of hot take question for you guys. Fire away. When do you think Iron Circus returns to Kickstarter? Super interesting, and and my 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 answer will come with a caveat that they did a campaign um, that was their own. I know, I know. And then they did a backer kit campaign. Yes. So let's look at the numbers that I don't have any interest in interest me, meaning they don't tell me where they are and what so probably soon, but I, I don't know what they made on their last two campaigns. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, it's just I think that anyone who bought into the I mean, especially the the tried and true creators who bought into the we gotta go. Blockchain's happening, and push that as a marketing reason to really up themselves. I look at that and I cringe. You know, it's using that as a marketing tool to build yourself. I thought was a pretty negative thing. I didn't personally like that, um, and I saw a lot of creators doing it. I saw creators who have never launched a Kickstarter campaign go. I was thinking about Kickstarter, but now I'm not going to use it. It's like, bro, you're clout chasing. You know, nothing has changed on Kickstarter. <laughs> they aren't. They haven't done shit. They and, and, and these um a bunch of these uh, hot takes from, from creators were stated on Twitter, which is a site that uses blockchain. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, so I'm glad. I'm glad that that conversation and that whole controversy is largely over. I um I did a Kickstarter panel uh, with with Oriana, with Amanda Connor, and a few other great creators at uh, New York Comic Con, and there was one question about it in the audience. How can I uh, trust Kickstarter to do this? And my, my answer was, Don't worry about it. It's not. It's not even a conversation amongst my backers. Among my thousands of backers. It's not a conversation in my network of creators. It is not a fear at all anymore. The only fear was that they were going to scare people off 
from the huge social media reaction, not the actual news, but the reaction by creators who largely aren't involved in, in the platform. So I was yeah. pretty bummed when I saw some creators who are involved in the platform kind of fall into the fear of of the whole blockchain thing on, on, on Kickstarter and move on to other platforms, Zoop, Bankerkit, all that stuff. And I... I'm eager for them to come back to Kickstarter and keep enriching this platform because to me, it's arguably still the best and there's no controversy that has. I've certainly heard you and Charlie saying that and I I, I respect it. This is more me. This is more me looking at what that exact Kickstarter statement was and hearing them saying, Hey, we're going to do this. No one's going to be forced to take blank. I I have a real rough time with NFTs and personal like like crypto and this is my own personal thing. So I I this isn't if anybody wants to take Bitcoin, fucking do it. I, I like I I I'm not I'm not casting any aspersions to anybody who wants to take Bitcoin for money. If that's your thing, great, do it. If you want to sell NFTs, that's not my thing. I get it. Do do your thing. My, my thing about what Kickstarter put out at the time, yes, which scared me, was no one will be forced to accept Bitcoin. Okay. Why and did that scare you? It scared me because it was, I had a friend who worked at Kickstarter who I respect okay. to the nth degree, to the highest degree. This person is the smartest, most um, noble like a good person who was part of Kickstarter for two months after this conversation. And she was forced to quit Kickstarter two months after. And as somebody who has never put her on the spot, because I don't have the friendship where that's right. I have a, um, I have a relationship with her like you. Pat, where I'm going to watch what you do and respect what you do, yeah, right or left, and I'm not going to try to get into what you make your 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 decisions because um, I respect what you do and I think you're smart, yeah, and I and I think you're you're a good person and I think you're doing what's right for you and for the most part, what's right for everybody, but but for what's right for you. And I, I watch somebody who I respect as much as you can respect somebody have to quit Kickstarter because I saw her not get the answers from them that she needed to get to continue working there. And that is scary to me. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Can, can I ask you what yeah. you mean by forced to leave? I saw somebody who worked for Kickstarter who had to quit because they weren't getting the answers to the questions they asked. 
That's it. That's all I know. Okay. Um, here's the thing. Uh, I feel like the comics industry is treating, and it's crazy because we say the exact opposite. Um, we say corporations are not people. However, comics people largely treat corporations as if they have the as if they should have the morality of a person, as if they owe them some kind of answer, as if every corporation isn't making choices that if a person made, they would be monstrous, you know? And I I would say if this person was working at a McDonald's, they might have some issues with the impact of McDonald's on the health of Americans. And if they are to, I, I I wouldn't say that they were forced out if they had mm-hmm. questions that corporation that, that that corporate wasn't answering. They chose to leave, you know. Uh, sure. Okay. So, so I don't I don't really accept that as something that I would be personally worried about because who who is what responsibility does a corporation have to one worker to explain? No, none. Zero. The, the unannounced details of something that they announced they might do in the future. You know, sure. it, it, it was a vague announcement and I I just don't accept that. You know, I, I, I look at that, that, that situation. And I mean, my honest thought is they quit over that. Like that. Yeah. that- no, my, my, okay. So fair. My, my honest thought is creating this super vague, statement to get uh, venture capitalists excited yes okay and the people on the ground said wtf and then i see somebody who has a foot in the game taking this person did not quit the day after the comment was made yeah. Or the the whatever, whatever you want to call that, it was a a month, a month and a half later, where they very quietly said, "I have decided that this is not my spot." Did not make a big deal about it. Did not make this a huge thing. I i think that the ceo of kickstarter when they made their statement yes fucked things up (laughs) i i i am viscerally angry at the person for deciding that this was a great idea because probably they make more money on their video games and whatever than they do on comics I get it. Oh, yeah. If you're making 180 million a year on one thing and you're making 18 million a year on another, I get prioritizing it. I get that. Like, the, the, I totally get it. And I still feel Kickstarter is the place to be. I agree. I am so livid that a year ago, we had to worry about ourselves because somebody decided to jump on a train and jump on this. Um, And a friend of mine had to lose her goddamn job 
because they wouldn't give her a goddamn answer that made her feel like she could still with integrity do her job i am still pretty angry about that i, I hear you i just i don't relate to the idea that there is something worth quitting over even if they went through and did it fully I mean, but but is there not something worth quitting if somebody is doing something that you feel uh, violates your integrity? Here, yes, a hundred percent, yes. Period. However, yes, that that's I agree with that. However, I think that the idea of this specific thing being seen as a violation of integrity, I do not relate to anyone who feels that way. My yeah, that that is that I is. think. It's, that's I, debate. I, I would go even as far as to think that it's silly. You know, I I think that comics at large is addicted to these controversies. I have group chats with creators that we all know who I go in and I say, hey guys, just so you know, this next topic is the next big controversy everyone is going to be addicted to. And every single time I'm right. Every single time. I've been in this shit for over a decade and the comics industry is addicted to defining and shaping their entire personalities around these banal controversies you know and kickstarter their flaw was this they couldn't have predicted how soft comics creators are that that's their big flaw to me you know i i think that do we matter to them 100 percent, yeah 100 percent. do we uh, unambiguously yes yeah do we i mean i mean comparison to what would they make on video games and uh yeah no no projects no, we do. Uh, the, the the CEO of Kickstarter follows and engages with, with us. They hire a full time comics rep. That they, they a good comics rep. Yeah, I mean, it, unambiguously yes, uh, unambiguously yes. What I mean, they they largely probably even curbed the whole blockchain thing because of the comics industry's reaction. Because other industries don't have this reaction. The uh, the podcasting industry doesn't have this reaction. The comedy industry doesn't have it. The film industry doesn't have it. The trading card industry doesn't have it. Comics is the only industry in my mind that goes all in on every single controversy and defines itself on all, true, on, on all these. Good or bad, on, I agree with you. Good or yeah, bad, no, I agree so with you. And, that, and, and I'm, I'm as much of a, like, obviously you can tell, like, NFTs offend me on a personal level if i didn't know that um mining bitcoin used up as much energy as every solar panel in the world i wouldn't give a shit about bitcoin that kills me and the the and no one has given me a reason to believe in blockchains or NFTs at all, except for um, some get rich scheme that has every single time either been proven to be bullshit or a scam. And I hope it's bullshit because that's great. Bullshit's great. A scam is worse. Yeah. I, I, I get so, so viscerally angry at having some artists that I adore 
being scammed into putting their own thousands of dollars into NFTs that are now worth seven dollars. Um, I, I I get so angry and like like this is <laughs> this this didn't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to get into this, but it's like no, no, no I don't care. Yeah. I, I, I I have I have no personal investment in this conversation beyond I am annoyed that the conversation on Twitter went on for mm-hmm. as long as it did and was perpetrated largely by people who are not really involved in Kickstarter. That's yeah. my main concern. Fair. And because um, I, I don't give a fuck about NFTs either way. I have no judgment for those who do them. I, the only thing that I know is I know that um, NFTs and blockchain are being spoken of as the same thing when there is a Correct. large difference in how they are used and how in reality, the internet in general is headed toward this. So for, for Kickstarter to be the one that we demonize, and this is sure. the one that affects indie creators, and it's being spoken about on a platform already using it, to me, shows the comics artists and comics writers are the ultimate fucking bullshitters. Sure. So I, I, e, I've never e, heard e, 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 e. Oh, Okay, so yes. So here's my question. Is... I've, I've talked to with Charlie with this and he kind of gave me kind of the same um, argument you gave. And yeah. my question was Kickstarter is not a corporation. It They're is a public a good corporation. Public good corporation. They have created their bylines based on doing good for blank. So if Twitter wants to fucking kill baby seals to make profit, I can be against that, yeah. but there's no hypocrisy. If, if a, if a, if a corporation has changed their for-profit motive to be good motive, can I hold them to a higher standard? No, because Twitter does, no. Twitter does front itself as a public good. Twitter is, is corporation uh, the same type as Kickstarter. I am ignorant. I don't know. No, no, no. I'm not talking about business. I'm talking about. But they're a corporation. So, hold on. So when a guy like Jack, who runs Kickstarter, who who, who runs Twitter Did, yeah. in the past, and Elon, who runs it now, they yeah. both presented as a moral good. Jack presents it as changing the conversation and connecting people worldwide. Elon Musk presents it as the, this this bastion of free speech. They're both trying to frame it as this moral good. And all companies do that. You see these companies take on these causes, you, you know, the, these social justice causes. And if they were if they actually make a difference in the world, great. However, they're also lying in their pockets. A hundred percent. So I, 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 I put them all in the same box. I judge them all the exact same way. And I think that Kickstarter, especially because indie creators' lives and livelihoods depend on it, I think people were talking too reckless. You know, I, I, I don't take NFTs personal at all. I, I take it personal that there were these people on Twitter who were so recklessly talking about how people should stop backing Kickstarters based on an announcement that was virtually nothing. Like, that's... Like, here's the thing. I know it doesn't impact my bottom line because 
I don't believe customers give a fuck. I have never heard about an, an, an I've never had a conversation about someone out of the comics industry in real life. A regular normal person has never brought up NFTs to me, negative or positive. Outside of the comics industry, even in listening to podcasts and, and, and comedy shows, never heard it mentioned negatively. Only in comics do I see people who are 100% nerds who are so into them or people who are so against them. Never elsewhere in the entire world. So I wasn't worried that it would impact my bottom line. I was just offended that people were being so flippant with with how they were dismissing this entire platform, which has done so much good. More good than they'll ever do. More good than any publisher whose dick they suck will ever do. Yeah. No, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I like my my thing was never my thing was never leave Kickstarter. My thing was never Kickstarter um, needs to go away. My no, but thing was that way. my 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 personal thing was if Kickstarter is going to chase this, and I I, I think that. I think that people of um, good conscience can read what Kickstarter put out in um, different ways. I think yeah, yeah. people of good conscience can read it as this is something that could become in the future. And also we're going to chase the thing that might be repulsive to you. Um I, I personally never like the thing of you'll never be forced to be blank. I, I, I don't love that as the thing that's put on me. Hey, you can be part of the group. You'll never be forced to whatever pejorative you want to put on this because I'm not going to put it out there and, and make it, make it a, a negative like I didn't love the way that the thing was put out. I, I think that it was a su- supremely short-sighted um, uh, statement put out, I think, to get the venture capitalist and video game people in. Yeah. I, I, love, I love that you're saying that they care about the comics people. I read it as we could go fucking jump off of the cliff. Well, I think that they're smart enough to know, though, that you can't paint comics people with one fell swoop. You know, I, I don't look at the comics industry as an industry defined by I hate NFTs. You, you sure. see the loudest people talking about it all the time. Yeah. However, the comics industry is full of diversity of thought and it's full of people who are largely regular people who don't even know what an NFT really is. Or do your thing. Do your thing. Yeah. I. I I personally don't care about the NFT conversation in any way um, outside of don't wish the platform bad because they announced something that wasn't even NFT adjacent really. It's a different technology that is seen as tied to it. You know, Um, that's how NFTs operate. But I would also venture to say that most of the people don't know about the other sites that they're using, which are on blockchain, which they use every day, sure. which they funnel ad revenue into. But because it was comics related, 
it wasn't anything about morality. I strongly feel people weren't taking a moral stance. What I feel is that the new controversy came up. People are, oh, got to get my take off. I got to be seen as a moral good person today. I have to get my, my points in today. And and they did. And that's, I'd say, 95% of the conversation was people doing that. And 5% was, no, 1% maybe people who actually are super knowledgeable about it and against it. And the other 4% people like, I don't know what this is. What's going on? And they, I, I don't see it as this big, super informed ne- negativity about it. I, I see mm. it as just another commerce controversy. And and yeah, I, to me, it was it was nothing. I think that, do I wish they didn't announce it? Yeah, because we would have avoided a few annoying leaks on Twitter. But the conversation is largely over. Now, like, um, mm-hmm. there's been no impact really on the comics community. That there's been no impact on Twitter. It was a moment where, in my opinion, the comics industry had a fucking hissy fit, as it does. But you say that they didn't push it because of the comics community. So, did the hissy right. fit work or no? Well, here's the thing: they didn't announce that it was coming. They said we're looking into it, and then. They didn't set forth any plans and no plans have happened. And all we've seen since then is a vague update that there's been nothing about it. And to me, it was nothing from the start to me. It'll be nothing if it happened, Mm. you know, I I don't think it's really, dude, I really appreciate you like discussing this with me because it's, it's something that, that, that does like work at my craw that that they would have they'd be perfectly fine and just put this fucking bomb in our laps that we didn't ask for yeah in my opinion they don't see it as a bomb and i think that most of the people on planet earth wouldn't see it as a bomb um but the comic community does and i'm yes. a comics creator on kickstarter yes and kickstarter put it in my lap yes but they they, they that's why i say they don't give up shit about comics creators because they're looking at the video game people in the venture and like the the more mechanical whatever thing i don't think they give a crap about us no they have not even thought about what they would do to us when putting this out i think that you're painting us with a really broad brush though you know like sure you are talking about your reaction that was not my reaction that was not my reaction of most people i know that that isn't the reaction of most what I interpret most working creators in in, in uh, the comics industry. It, it's that reaction is driven by a conversation which I don't think is interesting or accurate. You know, to Fair. say that that's evidence that Kickstarter doesn't care about the comics community makes it seem as if you think that is the pervasive opinion and the pervasive take in comics. When I think it's anything but. So that's my personal opinion and and could be wrong. So how much does comics make for Kickstarter compared to like video games and board games and um, robotics? Board games, I'd say probably does it. You know, board games and overall tech are probably the biggest. But um, Oriana gave figures and I don't know them offhand. um, But Oriana gave figures at the New York Comic Con panel, which already in that sentence two big indications that kickstarter gives a fuck about comics 
near Comic Con panel, Oriana. Oriana. That's <laughs> that's a person who is salaried, who, who who makes a living doing this. If Kickstarter didn't give a fuck about comics, they wouldn't have that. They they, they wouldn't mm. put the algorithm toward working for comics how they have. They wouldn't have the CEO taking his time to interact with us on Twitter. There's all the evidence in the world that they care about comics and the only evidence really against it is you saying that you personally didn't like a piece of news. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's not like really an argument to me, you know, cause that, that well, piece- it's my argument, but uh, it's fair well, for you to well, say it's not. Well, I mean like, <laughs> but you, you have to say that's your reaction to the news. I'm sure. in the community too. I read the piece yeah, of news. Of course. Charlie did too. We read that. And we thought, no, I oh, argued with Charlie. He can yeah. get him on. Come on. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, the, the, the fact that it's not good evidence, I'll say, that they sure. don't care about comics because most of the comics creators that I talked to don't, didn't care about it at all. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't have, there wasn't like people saying, oh, we don't care about these people because a few of them or a portion of them are against this. It was, I mean, I, I don't really understand that point, you know, because it's not as if the comics industry as a whole agrees on this topic. Correct. On anything? No, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. No, the comics industry is a million people doing their own things. Yes. 30% of us think something, 30% think something else, and everybody else is, like, putting their known knows the grind zone i get it i don't have I, I want you to know i have no disrespect for your opinion on this oh no None. no no i know Zero. i just i'm saying that i kind of feel like even in debating there, there there's this it, it it's hard for me to understand why you think it's proof of them not caring about comics creators in the face of me responding that not all comics creators feel as you do, you know, like fair. No, fair. Yeah. Because I like, don't what, what, what I what wonder I'm is trying this. to say yeah. is I don't think that comics were part of the conversation when the CEO at the time yeah. made the statement. I think we were at best an afterthought. Okay. Yeah. I mean I have I have no thoughts there because the statement, again, to me, wasn't interesting or relevant to me, you know. But what I would ask you is, like, say they did, right? Say they went all in. Say they went a step further and say they introduced an NFT tab where where people could kickstart and create NFTs and say they had an option to pay out in blockchain. Does Kevin Joseph stop using Kickstarter? I'd vomit first. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I I may not. I may be on Zoom. Because do you feel at that best, it, it, at best at yeah. best NFTs have been proven to be a Ponzi scheme? No, at best, they've been proven to be a bad idea. More likely, they've been proven to be a scam. And at worst, they've been proven to be a Ponzi scheme. I can't personally, in my own place, 
profit off of an NFT feeling lit. Uh, no, no. At, at best, they're they're valueless. Okay. To me, at best, they're valueless. They are a, a, a JPEG that I know are are wonderful to send out to people. Yes. If they want them. And you can put your value at whatever you want. $2, $10, $1,000. I don't care. What they want to pay is fine. But the quote-unquote gas tax and everything I've looked into blockchain is the people who want to put their fucking mortgage on a blockchain scares the shit out of me. Yeah. These people... When people can get your passcode and st steal your millions of dollars, or you can forget your passcode and you can never get your thing. Okay. So like to me, to sell somebody, I have to pay $800 of gas tax to create an NFT to sell a $3,000 JPEG. At best... I see no value in, in selling that to somebody who is supposed to say, Kevin Joseph, I trust you and I want to help you. So at best, I see no value in offering this thing to somebody who I want to um, make a, a reader of mine, a, a, a customer of mine, whatever. Then, yeah, then we go to... Maybe a scam, maybe a Ponzi scheme. Uh, I'm not smart enough. All right, I agree with all that, and I'll 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 take it a step further. Right, um, people who are in NFTs have tried to bring value to the idea of having an NFT by saying things like this: "Oh, if you have the uh, the Aziz Ansari NFT, you'll be able to do a meet and greet." So I will complicate that by saying, or you could sell a ticket for a meet and greet. So that that I agree with. The one thing I would say is this, though. I feel like we're putting so much morality on these corporations that we are using as tools. Do you have an iPhone? Sure. Would you say that Apple at large has done more negative things for the environment, for people in factories than Kickstarter? If, even if they were to go through yeah, these... And yet, and yet you're using an iPhone to forward yeah. your business, right? So yeah. I, I, that's why I think that the Kickstarter argument is just, it's very- Is, is Apple a corporation or a for, a for good, uh, whatever Kickstarter says they are? Why does that make a difference to you? It makes a difference because of hypocrisy. But do you think that Steve Jobs has- I think alive, RIP. But don't you think he's positioned himself and his company where he thinks that he is doing a net good for the world and has advertised Apple as changing the world, advertised himself as the the the, the new You watch the good place, Apple. right? I watched seasons one or two of the good place. Okay. I can't talk to you about it. Well, okay. So there's let me, something let me in three here. and four that, that is awesome to this conversation, but I don't want to mess it up. Okay. Not, not, not because, not because your thing. So um, the difference between the difference between so Apple, difficult. yeah, the, the difference between Apple and Kickstarter is Apple. Is I don't a for profit, profit corporation. Apple. You do. 
Okay. I don't, I don't, I don't very (laughs) specifically dollars and cents. I can't see on an Excel sheet how I profit or loss on Apple. Whereas on Kickstarter, I can, and I, and I, I want to be, I, I, I love Kickstarter. I'm not leaving Kickstarter. I want you no, no, to, no, I yeah. want to say this. I'm just interested uh, in, in the conversation because I, yeah. I, I don't agree. And I'm trying to understand where you're coming from because I look at them in both as tools. You know, but, I, we, okay, we, so, we so, use tools that so, are made by corporations, yeah. which have so, made decisions that we as people would, would, would largely never make. Kickstarter has not acted on what they said they right. were looking to do. Okay. 100%. So, so we're, he, we're here. Okay. Over here, I was super worried. If they decide to change their thing to do the thing that they said they wanted to do, I may change my business mindset. Yeah. So, so far, so far Kickstarter said, Hey guys, Here's a great thing. We're going to open up all these things that you may or may not hate. Yes. They've done none of them so far. Which people like you and others have said, don't get too crazy. They may never do this. And I respect the hell out of that advice. I never once said, I'm never doing Kickstarter again. I've done a Kickstarter since they made that thing. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to do one in January. Hell yeah, me too. But I am saying full front, if they force me to choose between profiting in a way that I'm uncomfortable or finding a new place that I might profit less at, I may make the choice. I was on Gumroad until the CEO decided to be doxing people about NFTs and shit. Like there was a point there where about a month where every place where I tried to make a dollar on with integrity and with, um, I don't, I don't know, just, just respect for myself where all the people in charge said, no, no, no. I'm going to step on a puppy's skull so you can make a dollar. Yeah. And I don't want you to step on a puppy's skull. Can't we all just make a dollar? And you don't want to be part of that. I don't want to be part of it. I want to make right. money. I am a capitalist. I am super. Watch out. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm a catalyst. Cat- catalyst. <laughs> I'm super happy to make money. That is great. I think it's a wonderful thing that we can um, play crazy make ups and possibly hit gold and make a lot of money and, yeah. and continue doing what we're doing. I just don't want these people to make these choices for me where I have to um, hate myself for making money yeah. and, Kickstarter has not right. done the thing yet that they said they might do a year ago that scared me. And I'm perfectly fine with Kickstarter. Good. Yeah. I mean, I've done it yet. Right. And I think that they probably, 
if they do, they'll be a lot more quiet about it. Uh, probably. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know what? Maybe that's what I want. Yeah, that's, that's exactly puppies, but don't make me think I'm killing the puppy. That is exactly my point because I, I see this comment here from uh, the Wine Comics and Pairing Show that says, well, we can't equivocate that because other companies are more unethical and moral. We can't aim at others. Bad things now I know because one company group goes all in. The same goes for good things now. Sure. Here's the thing. I think that because Apple is such a large corporation that the evil that they do feels less our fault. I think that the fact that Kickstarter is a creative corporation that's smaller, that we have become a community on, that's more personal than, than Apple. So when they choose to do something that people would morally disagree with, it becomes more of a personal issue. My point there is that I just struggle to really understand it because at the end of the day, it's still a business that's trying to make money for themselves that we make money using as a tool. I make money using my phone. I make money using Kickstarter. I, If I were to look into what Apple does and the people that are hurt by a corporation of that size existing – that would probably feel really bad, you know? Um, and I would feel a lot worse than that as I would feel about the sort of more vague and debatable impact that NFTs have that you look into and people are just arguing about it constantly, you know? So that's my one my one real takeaway is that I saw a lot of people who use tools from companies that do a lot worse than Kickstarter could do at, at their absolute most powerful and bad immediately condemning Kickstarter and saying, don't use it off of a, we may, might be maybe do this. And it's because it's more personal and it's, I, I took exception to that, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I think that is an extraordinary discussion. I appreciate you for being part of it. So yeah, thank for you. Sure, for sure. I thank you. I, I like, I love you, man. <laughs> Yeah, right. I, I appreciate you, you being part of the conversation whether whether i think we're more 52 48 percent i don't think we're 75 25 on this as far as disagreeing um, what's up as far as disagreeing as as part of part of where we are yeah i think yeah, yeah. so i mean i i'm as far as the nft conversation goes i am i consider myself not involved at all you know like i i am not interested in in either the benefit or the negative impact in my mind i let i'll let the nerds fight it out figure it out and if it becomes a net good great if it becomes a net negative hope they work it out i, I don't i'm not it's not my field you know yeah yeah but but i think that we both want kickstarter to work mm -hmm. i think we have i don't think anyone here wants people out of yeah. kickstarter I don't think they've done any of the things. I think one, I think a CEO, I, I, honestly, I think that some tech CEOs go to lunch, get excited and get erections and send out an email. And I mean, it could be, it could be. I, 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 and, and then they hear back and then the erection goes away. I think is personally, and then some guys are like I got enough money that my erection's staying, and I'm going to buy Twitter. But um, <laughs> I, 
Free speech. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Free speech. Absolutely. He has he has he has his right for free for forty four billion dollars worth of free speech. I I, I can't argue it. Um, so Pat, I love you. So let's talk about um, before we go. Yeah. Uh, smoke pot and see the future. If somebody came in late, let's talk about that campaign. All right, smoke weed, see the future. It is live now. Uh, you can get volumes one and two. It is about a seer who develops a strain of weed that allows people to buy NFTs. No, uh, that allows people to. It is the future. It's the yeah. only way to make money. When they smoke it, they too will see the future. They'll see their own future, and they come to her to smoke for therapeutic reasons to figure out how to solve problems in their lives. They come to her for for petty reasons to see spoilers for a TV show that they're, that they're excited to see. They uh, it explores the human condition through our fear of what is to come it is a comedy it's a drama it's a romance it is a crime thriller come through and get volumes one and two it is also a spin-off of destiny new york that's my main series that is a world where magic is a real and everyday part of life if you want to get that too you can get caught up on the entire series it has run for five volumes so, so far uh, you can get volumes one through six on the uh case starter uh six is in production now it'll be put out the same time approximately as smoke we see the future volume two uh so that's where we're at awesome man and uh don't forget uh i'm sure you haven't forgotten but uh if people want to get destiny new york through their local comic shop it's available there as well right Yes, it, it is in comic shops through Black Mask Studios, who puts it out as single issues. Also, I do Gangster Ass Barista. That's my uh, a different spinoff uh, that follows a former gangster, current barista, Trinity. Uh, three issue series running through Black Mask. I also have As of the As of the Barbed running through Scout Comics. We're re- re- releasing our fifth and final issue next month. That is me and Rio Burton who is killing it on the art. That story is about a banished warrior who has to decide if she's going to let her homeland that casts her out burn as a demon God resurrects, or if she's going to go there and fight for the people who kicked her to the curb. Nice. And as the geek collective says, I think I live that log line for smoke weed and see the future. future. Um, uh, we don't have many campaigns that are still alive. Uh, Pocus Hocus, the Solus edition, I still see has. Oh no, that's successful. Oh my gosh, that might have been tonight because it's on it's the done, right? Top. Yeah, it I is. think it just yeah. ended. Yeah, I feel so, my survey out. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, we have Pioneers Blood and Stars. That is the comic from. Well, it was gonna say it. Um, so this one is I'm a little drunk. Sorry guys. It's my it was my birthday. I'm I'm, I'm into Pioneers Blood and Stars is still running, Kevin. Um so it's good until December seventh. What's it about? Uh vampires in space. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> uh we still have uh We Promised Utopia, the second season of that, which is a an ecological thriller that takes place in three different timelines yeah. uh, before adopting a carbon kind of something that we'll see in the series. Uh, something in the in the far future where we're 
something of a utopia that has a hidden secret that will lead to its downfall. And then in the far future where uh, it's a survival because everything has fallen and, you know, humans are humans got involved. Humans are on the precipice at that, that point, but uh, it looks like a really good series too. And Joey says the geek collection ended tonight. Well, well we didn't know that, you know, well, <laughs> we appreciate everybody that came in. Uh, Pat love, love having you on. Uh, we need you on with Charlie every month, as you said, you and Charlie do a campaign every month. And if you want to come on, we will have you. And, uh, Everybody, thank you for hanging with us and have a fabulous night. And Will and I are done for the year, so we won't see you next Friday or the last Friday of December. We're going to hang with our families. So uh, we wish you all happy holidays, happy new year, and good comics. Good night, everybody. Good night.